Here we go. All right, we're back with There Will Be Bourbon. It's, it's been a while since we've talked to this fine American, Braxton McCoy, who is with us tonight. And he doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to make this offer to anybody who did not see the first episode or listen to the first episode with us. It was about, I think, 140-ish minutes. So Braxton, are you cool with me sending in increments of one minute clips per $100 to anybody who wants to see that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Make your money, man. Yeah. So Venmo <laughs> me. Um, and for every hundred dollars you send, I will send you one minute of the Epic podcast that was with Braxton McCoy. How you doing tonight, sir? I'm well, man. Yeah. Hanging in there. What, what's uh, the thing? What do you got around your neck adorned there? What is that? Oh, it's a neckerchief. I got to go out and finish feeding here whenever we get done. So, Hmm, and my baby's take it off. I was just curious if it was, you know, the specific pattern. I was supposed to keep my damn, uh, keep the heat in when I go outside and keep the crap from going down my shirt. What's that temp up there right now? And we've had a nice winter. Um, uh, It's probably maybe 15 right now. Um. Which, I mean, nice it's subjective. It, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like usually January for us, man, no kidding. By the time the sun goes down, we're five or six below and middle of the night, you're, you're looking at 15, 20, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I sent you guys that picture yesterday. It was, you know, 80 degrees and I was at the pool in winter in California. Yeah. So where you right. are without completely disclosing the location, I think back on because uh, you're writing another book on you said Western yeah. Western culture essentially or uh, well uh, how the West impact American culture fundamentally and then I mean there is a little bit of politics in there but it's mostly a cultural book and well I think more on political. yeah but so the location you just described you just said all right so you, clearly you weren't the first person you didn't settle where you're at but there were people and individuals there long before we had, you know, central AC and, and, and heating. So I think mm-hmm. of what you just described is how these people just lived through those temperatures and that climate back then. Like oh, that's it's incredible. That, like, it's one of the arguments I make all the time with people. Uh, it's kind of unpopular in vet circles, but the idea that uh, the greatest generation was the world war two generation, I just don't, I don't agree. The pioneer generation was the greatest generation. And I don't, I don't even think there's any doubt about it. That's interesting. So what would you call What What years are we talking about for the pioneer generation? What would you describe it as? Is that pretty much, Uh, is is that along the lines of the civil war? No, it's pre-civil war. Uh, Okay. You know, and then it continued, you know, homesteading continued after that, but you're talking starting, I would say 1830 would be a fair place to really like where it started to get robust. There, there was pioneers before too, and homesteaders and those kind of things, but the movement started to get pretty robust around 1830. Um, and then was interrupted sort of briefly after the civil war, there was a rush back out to the West as well, you know, largely can, well, no, I mean, yeah, mostly Confederates, but then also like a lot of union people came out mm-hmm. to um, veterans like that that's how the old the old west movies and all that stuff a lot of that was post-war veterans coming out here looking for a new life you know 
Well, I always go back to, and I didn't, I didn't really know that, like I'd heard of it, but you know, growing up on the East coast, especially in the South, you don't think or learn. Well, maybe if you do, you really don't pay attention. I know I didn't, but coming out to California and getting the chance to go up to the Sierra Nevadas into Tahoe and you learn about the Donner pass and you stop at that, that rest stop that's right off of 80 going into Tahoe about the Donner party. It's like a memorial to the Donner party. I'm like, what the fuck this happened? And, and, and oh, you didn't know about it. Yeah. I, I honestly, I probably the Donner name registered, but nothing about the details ever did when I first was up there four years ago. Like, is that something mm-hmm. you you, you kind of you know that shit in and out basically? I guess. Well, I mean, you know, I'm no expert on it, but I, th- I it's probably probably gr- you grew up in Florida, right? Yeah, you probably learned stuff about Florida history. You yeah, know, exactly. Uh, I know Indian. Region, I, I think it's probably should, regional. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it was it was a big deal growing up in Utah for sure. It's it's really deal. it's it's just heartbreaking to read though, man. Like, and that's 160, 170 years ago at this point. But to think about what you just described as a generation of people who, you know, look, there's no roads, man. We're just gonna fucking wing it and see what happens. And then yeah. even when you realize and you learn the history of Lake Tahoe that I got a chance to do and read up about, like. Just the way they they started with that to me is just I don't know. Like I, I say this to Maddie all the time. I'm like, look, I get it. I've got everything ever in recorded history right here. All I need to mm-hmm. know is what search terms I want to use to plug it into. But I'm sorry, I really just don't think we're on par with our ancestors, man, when it comes to intelligence and the shit that they were able to do. Yeah, no, I, well, certainly not in terms of like field craft and yeah. ruggedness and stuff like that no definitely not um and then you know this the thing that you have to think about with, with the pioneer generation this is the thing i've been writing about um we have come up with was oh, all right braxton if you can rewind it back you, you kind of paused right as you said the thing i've come up with in the pioneer generation you had a little freeze on the internet there oh okay uh yeah. Yeah, so the the closest comparison that I can come up with to like what those people were actually facing or what or what the sort of reality surrounding everything were would be if like America decided to be an actual empire, not just an empire for sort of uh, rich elite corporatists, right? But like an actual empire, we were going to colonize these things. It would be like say we're in Afghanistan, we've been there for twenty years, and if you just went full you know, sort of uh, authoritarian uh, right-winger and said, okay, we've invested so much in this place now, uh, like, because we've literally invested more than their GDP over these 20 years, you know? So, like, this is ours now. You guys owe us too much debt, so we're just going to take this country. And if they said the way that we're going to take this is we know that we don't have the political will or the financial uh, power uh, or a military strong enough to uh, occupy this territory. So what we're going to do is just tell every American that they can, their family can have 500 acres of Afghan soil if they're willing to just take their family over there and uh, you know defend it. That's basically what they did with the West, and. That's a big, and, and the reason it's such an apt, in my opinion, you know, someone's going to tell me I'm an idiot, which is like par for the internet. But <laughs> the reason it's such like <laughs> an apt comparison is 
You don't know the language. These are hostile people. You're literally taking from them. Uh, you know, the, you're, you're literally taking their ground from them. Because uh, what it is is just a blank map and it just says, okay, whatever, you can have it as long as you can go take it. So you're doing, all, you're kind of ticking all of those boxes, but then you're, you're also ticking the boxes that people don't think about. Um, no one's financing it, but the person that's going, the government's not paying for it. You got to figure it out. There is no, uh, uh, well, medical facilities are crude at very best. And like, you're definitely leaving modern medicine behind hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you actually have, there is, there is hardly any, like what you would call an economy is like, there's just no robust economy and whatever you might call an economy is, you know, there's just like not a lot to speak of. So you're going to have to establish all of your own trade, your own ways to make money, uh, um, like you're gonna have to figure out how to feed yourselves, all of this stuff. And if you if you take all of that into consideration, that means that a whole bunch of your kids are gonna die. Yep. They're going to because they're gonna get a cold and they're gonna die. And your wife is gonna die in childbirth because there's no one there to deliver the kids. Um, there's no like access to mystery ranch and Sitka gear and crap like this because. Like once, once the government pulls out, how are you going to get Sitka mailed to Afghanistan? Like, I'm sure you can, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's going to have to come through Pakistan or something. Oh, so yeah, good luck. Yeah. And, and so if you think about, if you really like sit down and think about, would you take that chance? I mean, way less than 1% of Americans would even dream of taking a chance like that. Like way, way less. I mean, I think you're right, but I also toyed with the ideas when I was in Afghanistan and, and I saw Bagram. I always had the idea for a combat ski resort, you know, where you cater it to the, you know, the, the, the rich people of the world. Cause there's similar shit like this in Siberia and Russia. Like they, they fly all these rich people out there and Hey, just survive the combat ski resort. Braxton is that we're in the mountains. Are you skiing with an RPK? If that's what it's required, you you bring whatever you need. Okay, we're in the mountains okay. of Bagram. All right, we're in Bagram, beautiful, okay. beautiful country, absolutely beautiful, especially from the sky. I've been very fortunate to fly over that multiple times in helicopters in all seasons. It's just a beautiful country. It, it, it kind of reminds me of Tahoe, to be honest with you. I hate to say that, but it does. Um, the Bagram Ski Resort, combat ski resort, right? So you, we open up a ski resort just for you know, hey, people willing to sign away that 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 risk that that right to uh safety and anything and you know ski as you wish but keep in mind you may run across the taliban or other not so friendly forces and i feel like there's a niche that will want to do that because these people would thrive on adventure or they need excitement and what else can they spend their money on trying to survive it would work maybe but i do i do understand what you're saying because Again, if, if you would say, hey, you're going to give me 500 acres in Bagram and I can go pick it, I don't think I have the skill. I definitely don't have your skills. Let's not pretend. I don't. But it'd be, it would be enticing. I don't know if it's enticing enough to people based on what you said to take it up. And the reason I say that is because of this same shit right here. You get rid of this, yeah. You get right. rid of all those yeah. Access points, you know, connectivity, internet, all that shit. You take it away. 
I think people think very differently about their day-to-day existence. No, I agree. And, and the pioneers are doing the same thing. You were, you were leaving the post office behind. You were leaving the That's printing press behind. Um, access to paper and all this stuff. They're like None of that was coming with you. So, yeah, they were doing the same kind of, you know, it was cruder, but it, it was, you know, pretty similar. And, and you're right. It would be a very, like, I think about it all the time. Well, I, I, I think about it a lot. That's kind of what spurred the book idea. But um, now that I'm working on the book, I think about it even more. And yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I fancy myself fairly tough. And I don't know if I would, if I was single, I think I would jump right, all over. See? But that goes to, that, that flies in the face of what you said about, hey, you're going to need a family to pull off anything over there, right? In terms of whether it's farming or whatever it is you try to do with your land that you get, you can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. So this is where like the trappers come in, you know, uh, you could have done the trapping thing. Of course that was, mo- that was a little bit earlier, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, you could have tried the trapper route and a lot of guys did. Um, that I, th- I could have seen myself giving a go. I could yeah. try that for sure. All right. So real quick, before I continue with Braxton, I need to back up because I have completely failed my own poorly thought out. I wouldn't even call it a business plan, but what I do when I, when I introduce these shows is at first I talk about what the hell I'm drinking. That's going to fuel my discussion tonight. And it's going to be a little bookers, right? So we got this, we've got batch three from 2020, the pigskin batch. Uh, six years, seven months, and seven days old. Again, if you know what Booker's is, it's it's made by Jim Beam. Um, it is barrel proof. So we're at 127.3 proof. And once that cools off, we're going to have to water things down a bit with a little of, you know, a little benchmark eight, which comes from obviously the greatest distillery known to man, which is Buffalo Trace. But it's, you know, it's bottom shelf. It's delicious. And it's about nine bucks a bottle if you can find it in your state. And it's 80 proof. So again, everything benchmark or not everything benchmark, everything Buffalo Trace does is, is amazing and great. But we're going to celebrate Jim Beam and Buffalo Trace tonight because they're two of the finest American distilleries. And as Braxton has already discussed, they predate the pioneer generation. I believe both distilleries do, actually. So there you go. Really? You know, Buffalo that's Trace crazy. is the one distillery that's ran continuously since, I think, 1796 or some shit like that. No, uh, no, I've never interrupted cool. operations since it's the oldest running distillery. I just finally got to visit this over Christmas break. Unbelievable. Well, that's like pretty neat. It really is because again, 1796. It's either 1796 or 1786. One of those, I think it's 1796, but yeah, continuous operations all through prohibition, everything that, you know, there was a time when prohibition came out and, I want to say there was six major distilleries in the United States that were able to get permits to continue to produce whiskey uh, for medicinal purposes. And oh, it was medicinal. I was wondering. Yeah. Was so that was a loophole. Thing, yep. That was a loophole. And it wasn't called Buffalo Trace until 1999, but it's the same distillery. If you look up OFC, it's old fire and copper. I believe it stood for. Um, but anyway, the same people, you know, you go back to Colonel Taylor, you go back to some of these names that have been, uh, synonymous with the buffalo trace legacy and uh, yeah since 1796 i think that's it's fucking wow. cool. you stand there and just to look around in those grounds and be like yeah this has been going on for a while that's wild when was the whiskey rebellion was that 1804 when, when was that yeah early 18 no it wasn't 1804 wasn't it was it 1804 
we're, you know what? Well, you know what I know? No, because Washington was the president, so it had to be earlier than that. Um, yeah, it would have to be earlier than that. 1791. 1791. And 1794. Yeah, same thing. Well, Washington had a distillery. Like, all these guys, they had this. They did it. They had, like, all this surplus of corn. They're like, what the fuck do we do with this corn? And they're like, oh, I remember, you know, people over in Europe. What did they do with theirs? They made whiskey out of it and you got scotch right which is ironic because scotch now essentially takes bourbon barrels to make their stuff actually taste good um but (laughs) (laughs) and i know you're a big irish whiskey guy or you were um i like irish whiskey i think irish whiskey is superior by far to scotch some scotches are really good um it's but i would agree the value is not there though that's my thing that's my only thing with scotch right and if you spend any time in Kentucky and you, and you listen to every distillery tells their own story and tale or whatever, but they all kind of come back to the same central point. And you can get this in Tennessee because there's a huge whiskey trail in Tennessee. The, 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 the labels and the, the products just aren't as well known. Uh, and then Indiana where MGP is um, that produces a lot of stuff that's sourced. Um, What's MGP? MGP is multi-grain producer, right? So they're the ones who or is it manufactured grain? Anyway, MG, it, let me get you the exact fucking name. Cause I don't want to put out bad information on this. Cause this is a very serious <laughs> podcast, Braxton. Like people look to us, <laughs> people look to us for facts and you know what? Um, this MGP, is the WikiLeaks of bourbon. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Midwest grain products of Indiana. Right. So MGP. So if you think about every distillery that comes out of Kentucky, right. Those, those are, everyone thinks Kentucky for bourbon. 95% of the world's bourbon is made in Kentucky. Right. However, MGP in Indiana, in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, sources just about everything that you can think of that's not made in in Kentucky. So if you and I wanted to start our own distillery, right, and we're going to start selling bourbon tomorrow. Well, we can't because bourbon takes X amount of years and time, you know, based on law before you can call a product bourbon, you know, in terms of aging. So how do we do that before we get our stuff aged, right? We have to source it from somewhere. That's where MGP comes in. They've done that with High West. They've done that with all these, you know, Widow Jane, a lot of these labels that people have come to like while their stuff is aging, they got to put something out on the market. They Mm. source it. And if they're not selling bourbon that's sourced, they're selling other stuff that you can sell immediately like vodka. You know what I mean? So uh, Mm. gin is another one. So that's, that's what MGP does. Which is just a pine tree in a bottle. It's, awful in a bottle is what you meant to say i think <laughs> gin is gin, awful it really does it tastes like a damn fir tree if you like gin please never listen to another episode of this podcast i don't even you, mind you losing that funny... person as a listener <laughs> so i uh a friend of ours made some mango salsa the other okay. day uh it's a couple months ago started over it was it's fine but you guys can get mangoes when... up there it's crazy I don't know where she got them. <laughs> if you put mangoes in salsa, the result is gin. And I don't care what anyone says. That's all I could taste was gin. It was like, she's a, she makes great stuff, but my God, it was just not my thing. I don't, Terrible. That's, that's, that's an interesting correlation. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Taste buds might be ruined, but maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe you got some residual taste. I got sick on gin one time. So I don't think anyone has never gotten sick on gin. You have to. The only thing I remember, like, so I used to go visit my buddy right after high school and their fraternity 
their their drink was the Tom Collins, which is a gin based. I've heard of it, but I don't know what it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so is it a martini? Is it a martini? It's not a martini. It's ah, look. We're, you, Big podcast episode tonight. You're getting all sorts of like bad drinking advice. Um, what is a Tom Collins? So we're going to look. We're learning that, that you so, know a whole bunch about bourbon. I do know bourbon. <laughs> uh, so Tom Collins is a is a gin, lemon juice, sugar, and carbonated water. So there you go. It's a. Uh, it's a. It's. It's just not good. And my cousin, like, so my cousin, he he loves gin. I remember we were in Vegas together, and we went to this uh, lounge that was in the Cosmo. And he's all about like, oh, you got to try this gin drink. And I tried it and I'm like, yeah, man, this is great. Sorry, Matt, but gin is not good. And that drink you had me had that night wasn't good, but I still love you, bro. You're, you're still a good dude. Um, gin is not, it's just not for me, but it's what you got to sell if you're going to have a distillery. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I guess you're it. already rich, which I'm not. Well, yeah, no, me either. But yeah, no, I think I think from your first book, the Glass Factory. Are you rich from that? No. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, writing books has to be a passion project. You can't make money. Well, I mean, you know, well, you can. Yeah, but you're, so you're just, you haven't say, entered. But. Yeah, you haven't entered that. I mean, you do have a book that is worthy of financial success. It's just we haven't figured a way to get you into that that echelon yet. We'll get there. What are you two doing? So this is yeah, let's hope. Yeah, I think uh, Hemingway, and I'm, I was thinking about this, in Green Hills of Africa, I think he talks about drinking Tom Collins, but he drank everything, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think you kind of had to. That guy drank everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a – and then, you know, I, I read once – well, I read a, a few biographies about him, but in one of the ones I read uh, that was actually really good, I think it was called uh, – uh, what was it? Soldier, sailor, uh, pirate, spy, or something like that. Um, and that one, they interviewed one of his best friends, and she said that he wrote, he talked up his drinking big in print, but he really didn't drink the way that you like. He, he so didn't he drink was like a, he was like, a, like what people thought. He was like a rapper, but back then, right? Like they all talk up how <laughs> you know they're all like the, they're all Al Capone and they they're all super millionaire rich people, but they're really just the local dude from the neighborhood, most likely a suburb, who's good at rapping. Boats, boats and hoes. Boats. Well, <laughs> rapping, so yeah. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? Speaking of what you're talking about, um, and. I got to go back and rewatch it. It's been so long. My brother years ago for Christmas sent me this uh, history channel documentary box set on like the founders and the founding of America. Mm -hmm. And they talk about how literally everyone around that time of the founding was just in this constant state of drunkenness because there was no real water that you could drink. And they accidentally discovered while just you know making beer well hey you don't have to make the beer if you distill the or if you do whatever it is you do to the water to to purify it before you make the beer like here's how you clean water and they accidentally it, it, I, yeah, I, don't know. I don't know it's how true that is but oh well, they drank ale all the time i know that right. um and it, and in it place was of water because you know, it's like bad. oh we don't have any water so we'll just drink it beer and ale and all that shit yeah, same thing with wine. They drink wine because it's, you know, uh, purified, I guess. <laughs> you know, purified would be an interesting way to put it. But, um, 
yeah, there were the bacteria was removed at least. <laughs> so, so here's what I think all of America would really like to know is does Braxton prefer beer or wine? Uh, definitely beer to wine. If I, you really? know, if I'm a drinking man, yeah, <clears throat> I don't hate wine, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sober these days, you know, relative. Well, I, to I know that, but, <laughs> my I mean, past it, life, at but. some point we got to get you down to Napa if it ever opens again. It's not, no, open. I, I actually, I think like, uh, <laughs> Merlot's, Merlot's are good. Um, well, Napa's big for the cab Cabernet Sauvignon, all right, so that's why, yeah, that's those are good. Yeah, that's what Napa's favorite for. So there's a really good movie Maddie turned me on to called Bottle Shock, right? Because Napa, once upon a time, wasn't anything special. It was just some area of California that produced wine and no one really knew about it or what it was. But Bottle Shock covers this local wine producer who made a bottle and they offered it up through this international competition, a blind tasting test with France and wine from California. And this was their offering. And it won. It, it beat everything in France and it was judged by people in France. And so they were like, oh my God, how did we lose to this fucking, you know, American winery? Well, wow, right. I mean, and that created American. Yeah. And that's what created the Napa industry from the 70s. I want to say it was 76 or 79, one of those years. Anyway, but that's where that came from because Napa wasn't always Napa, it was just some fucking farmland area that made wine and they figured out a way to make caps off that was just you know better than what the french do which is kind of historic yeah, I, don't, I don't doubt that I don't, I don't doubt that the french suck at everything so <laughs> you know like uh, the only people on earth that californians could beat at something are the french so <laughs> i guess I'm, like not even remotely surprised <laughs> that's going in the promo for this episode is the only thing, what, let me let me make sure I know. All right. I just got to know where we're at so I know where to go find this clip. I'll be sitting there for hours looking for it. That's good. That's good. So um, I, I guided a guy on a deer hunt last year that was from Northern California somewhere. Actually, he might have been from the Central Valley. I can't remember. I think he was from Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting dude. Uh, he was an Armenian. And he drank. Boy, that oh, he- guy drank like all day. Yeah, I was going to say, he's got to be from uh, probably the Sacramento area. Huge population of them. Of Armenians? Yeah. Well, he's an almond farmer, but he calls them almonds. Okay. And he would he would argue, like, if you if you said almond, he would correct you every time. Where's Interesting enough guy. From? I have no idea. I don't know if it's like the Armenian dialect or whatever, yeah. but he was dead serious about it. The word to him is almond. So... You know, like don't mess around with the book. So that guy, I don't, I don't want to mess with always Armenians. like they're very violent. He's a he was a violent guy. There's no doubt about that. He and he had a lot of money, and he's a wild. That's the worst he had part. all kinds of stories about yeah. the law. I yeah. mean, I believe it. And they would like pay the law off and stuff. And yeah, he's a wild sob. But anyway, yeah, he was always on about. Uh, uh, different wines and stuff, but I only ever saw him drink Crown Royal. But what? he was always on about, yeah, Crown drink Crown Royal. Royal all freaking day. No kidding. I, I had to, so we knew that he drank Crown Royal because he said that. So we bought, I think it was, I can't remember if it was two bottles or just one, but we bought a, a fifth of mm-hmm. Crown Royal for a five day hunt. 
we're thinking like you gotta like hunting gotta get up early and stuff so like we thought it'd probably get him through dude he drank a fifth every day every day we, we i had to pay a rancher to go get him booze because he was um, out of booze Damn. it was it was wild you know what i don't yeah. understand wild about that? Dude, because don't get me wrong i i i before I ever got into bourbon, like I'm, I'm like most people, I think in America who I, I started with scotch and I moved on the crown Royal, which is Canadian. And I like crown Royal. I really do for, for a while, for years, I would go to Vegas and the thing my buddy and I would always drink was crown and Sprite. Like it's good, but it's a mixer. That's what crown Royal is. All right. Crown Royal is a mixer, but then yeah, it is. What they they've carved out this massive niche, not even a niche. It's like a massive slice of the market in the United States when it comes to spirit. Like it's a really fascinating, I guess, study. I don't know if you would just look at what people, and especially it's very regional, as you described earlier about other things, what history. But if you look at what people drink, it's all regional, man. From beer to the well, wine, the spirits, it is regional. Sure, no, no doubt. There's a, definitely a cultural aspect to everything. Yeah. Um, Crown, Crown was wisely marketed though. It's an interesting bottle shape and, and all That's that. A great bottle shape. And then, it's beautiful. I love it. Well, they, I mean, Blanton's rips off what with, they do with the bottle. They put it in a fucking little, little thingy, a little bag. But they don't send you with a bag. Or do they? They put a bag. Yeah, on I, I, yeah. Oh, keep going. Keep that. going while I look for this. But no, that's that was the thing is they they put it in a bag that like people try to pretend is useful, even though it's really not useful for any. Like when I was a kid, uh, my I would when I was bull riding as a kid, um, I'd put my rosin in a Crown Royal bag because it was just handy. Yeah, yeah. Look, this but is it's like a, so Blanton's will give you. Yeah. The, so I didn't it, know it's that. in a box, and then they put the bottle it's in the there. Same bag. It's the same bag. Just a little, I think it's a little smaller, but yeah, I mean, Blanton's does the same shit. Blanton's made by Buffalo Trace, but everyone loves Blanton's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what, uh, 22 shells, pile them up in a Crown Royal bag. Yeah, I think um, we all did that. You know, I think, because I, I, I remember doing that same dumb shit, like, early in my life. Like, you put everything in a, in a Crown bag, and you thought it was like a status symbol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, like, uh, there's a, there's a parallel you can draw. It's one of the things that when I was a kid, I hated skateboarders. I thought they were dorks and stuff. But now as I get older, you can you can draw a parallel. Um, like in the rodeo world, uh, bull riders, at least in my generation, <clears throat> and definitely in the subsequent generations, were like very much like a rebellious group. It was sort of like rebelling against your parents kind of thing. And in fact, like my bull riding was – a lot of that you know i grew up on a horse ranch and i should have rode bronx uh but i i said screw that man i <laughs> i do that all the time i don't want to do that i want to run bulls so so there's like a rebelliousness to it and so i think that's part of like what the crown royal thing was it was like sim it's like when uh nerds would wear playboy uh visors when we were kids or whatever you know it's well, like it's, a symbol it, of rebellion yeah well and it's also why hennessy to this day is still popular because tupac said it constantly like literally in every fucking song tupac ever made he mentioned hennessy and he rhymed it with enemies 
like every song. <laughs> <laughs> like I love Tupac, but you could probably go back. Someone should do this as like a research project and be like, how many songs did Tupac mention Hennessy in? And I feel like because of he's literally the biggest rapper of my lifetime outside of Jay-Z and I maybe Eminem. I don't know. They're all three of them on par. But he's the only one that I would say like has literally lived through culture this long. Well, Biggie as well, too. But Biggie never mentioned alcohol as much. But Tupac was all about Hennessy. And that's, I think, large. I know for a fact, Braxton, I bought bottles of Hennessy because Tupac said it. I just did. That's true. Sure. I and that's so. Did that. Yeah, that's the impact. That's the power of culture. And is that, is that um, kind of does that is that what you're writing about in the book? Like, how are you? How's the book? What are you trying to tie in? Is it like cultural through history, or is it culture today that's still represented somehow, or what? What's what's the angle? Uh, well, so it's yeah, it's, it's historical culture, and then um, like what's happened with losing that thing. So if you think about uh, like dime store novels, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know how many terms are like you guys know, but yeah, the old dime store novels, yep. those things were not being sold in Pocatello, Idaho, or, uh, you know, uh, Logan, Utah or something. Those things were being sold in New York city and St. Louis. And, you know, cause back then St. I Louis know you love St. Louis. I know you love that. Too. I do hate St. Louis, <laughs> <I hate that. laughs> but back then it was, uh, it was a, it was in a, a very important city. Particularly, yeah. for, it was the gateway oh, to the yeah. West. It's I mean, right that's the, the reason river. they have that yeah, stupid, freaking big, stupid arch that they think is so cool. Uh, <laughs> so they they were very important, but that's where those uh, novels were being sold. You know, they're they're pamphlets. You know, but like novellas, I guess. But that's where they were being sold, and the reason that they are being sold there is because we had our. So you have to kind of take it a step back. What happened was. The founders, Jefferson in particular, understood that we had just, he had just, you know, of course, he sent Meriwether Lewis in 1804 to explore the West via the Missouri River, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he goes up and, you know, does all this stuff and he's sort of skirting the Louisiana Purchase and it's basically like, what did we just buy? You know, and of course, Jefferson was a naturalist and so was Meriwether Lewis. And they were, you know, they knew each other and Jefferson thought highly of him and all this stuff. So it was like all of that made sense. But so he sends him out and he says, you know, uh, shoot stuff, skin it and send it back and, you know, record everything that you can. And, you know, he's basically like an Aldo Leopold adventure, except for uh, in a totally unconquered territory. And. So he goes out, does all that stuff, comes back and says, here are the tribes that we think we can uh, sort of work with. And here are the ones that we know that we can't and all that. So he passes all of that information on. And this would be like, I think he got back in 1808. Well, he got back in 1806. But by the time he by the time they were sort of done offloading stuff and Jefferson was making plans, you're talking like 1808, you know, and then, of course, Mm -hmm. he became governor of Louisiana Territory and all this. Well, uh so Jefferson sort of thinks about all of this, mulls it around, talks to, you know, other founders, and they come up with this idea of manifest destiny because mm-hmm. they realize there's no way that we can take this territory. Like th- we don't have an army to defend this. There's no way. And the Spanish are still, uh, you know, uh, running Santa Fe and encroaching every day. 
And then you've got the, the Brits and the French to the North. And we had already pulled some shady stuff, you know, in the Ohio river Valley where we were just like, well, you say this is yours, but where the hell is your folks? <laughs> like it's all our folks here. So I think this is ours. So we're just going to, so we'd already like pulled that. So we knew that that was a possibility uh, in the West. So what they came up with was manifest destiny, which was, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, we had to convince people that things were glorious out there. Like it was uh, truly where the American dream was born. The idea of this is where you can go, go and make your fortune. It's, it's theirs to be, it's there to be had. Um, you know, it's like a birthright of Americanism. Like, in, and this is sort of Americana comes out of this too. But so all these people start venturing West. And the reason that that is, that part is important is because that lays the groundwork for Americanism, if you will, where we are the only country on earth that I can think of that can truly lay claim to being a country that was founded by its people. You know, that we all do the of, for, and by the people thing because it's written on a piece of paper, but papers don't mean shit. Like you have to actually go do that, you know? So we did that. We captured the West with our populace, not with an army with our population. Mm -hmm. So the people built the country and they defended it. And of course we had this high speed cavalry, high speed for the time they would ride in. If you were in too much trouble and try to help you out or whatever, but you're talking, you know, weeks before they can get there, depending on where you're at and all that. So we put up all these forts and we did all this stuff, but it was really the people that uh, built the West. And that's where the American dream was born. Like you say, and that's where the American spirit, which is separate from the dream, but it's sort of like a, uh, I think the spirit's more like you just, you're not going to quit no matter what circumstances you're going to get. Right. You're going to just make, the okay. Best of it and persevere. Correct. That's yeah. exactly right. Okay. And where did that come from? It sure shit did not come from the revolution because right. every son of a bitch at Valley Forge wanted to quit. <laughs> it came from, <laughs> <laughs> We're talking American history tonight with Braxton McCoy. (laughs) (laughs) It came from those men and women and families that just kept pushing through, pushing through. So it's very mythologized, but it's also, uh, well, it's mythologized, but it's also built on real action. Like most mythos are. Right. It also happened. Yeah. That's what's cool. I think people really did it. Then once one guy does it, everybody goes, shoot, if that dipshit can do it, then we can do it. And, (laughs) And that's, so that's like, that's what uh, sort of drove this out here. Like, just think about this. Like, let's say you're English and you're walking around Britain, you know, sorry for you, but you're <laughs> walking around there and you. <laughs> Today, and you not go, like 150 years ago when it still mattered, but yeah. I don't even care when they still suck, but uh, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're walking around and you go, this is my country, you know, uh, all the, you know, trying to feel all cool and stuff, but really you look like a dork cheerleader at a like a football game because you didn't you didn't build any of that shit those castles are 1200 years old some freaking monarch built that you were just a dork your 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 family was a dork ass surf that just just worked for some asshole that (laughs) that (laughs) made your uncle stack rocks to build a freaking so okay i guess you built it but you were a laborer like you were useless (laughs) you were just no one cared that if you died, they would just pile rocks on top of you and make the make the place bigger. 
<laughs> you were you were totally useless. But we <laughs> in America, we can really say we built California. We built, you know, Nevada and Idaho and Oregon and Washington. And then, of course, later on, uh, New Mexico and Utah and all this. We built it. Folks did. They went out and put up their stupid adobe houses. And um, they suffered through all that stuff and walked across the freaking country with no shoes on and uh, no doctors. And it's amazing. So that's where the American spirit was born. So, like, as you rightly point out, it's perseverance at its root. But that that idea was born in the West, was not born in the East. It wasn't. That's why no one knows of Davy Crockett, but everybody knows of Wyatt Earp. Yeah. Or you know, the, Lewis and Clark, you know. Or Lewis and Clark. But mm-hmm. yeah, the historical center of the country was not DC or or the Northeast or anything. It was, or excuse me, the cultural center historical cultural center if we can uh, was actually out in you know tombstone arizona and uh san francisco you know pity pity that it's become what it is but you know the the, the gold rush and it was in oregon and, and it was on the puget sound and it was you know uh santa fe and just all this stuff it was out here this is where that idea was born and we have we're losing that we have lost touch with that is uh, part of the reason that we've gone the way that we have. And um, it used to be that like cowboy life or whatever was the cool thing, you know, like mm-hmm. kids would buy those little cap guns or whatever. Even when I was a kid, kids yeah, would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play cowboys and Indians, do all this stuff. They would do whatever it was. They would do, they would do their thing. And now it's shifted. Like you go to a, a, a gas station, you're going to see some damn cap gun or whatever. You're going to see some, um, you know, heavily marketed, you know, monster energy drink or, or something like, <laughs> like it's, it's just gone. Like that. Uh, every inch we move away from what made us who we are, uh, in, in my opinion is is just like dangerous it's dangerous because we're, we're just losing touch with ourselves as much as and i mean our our sort of cultural self and it's easy to point to uh, lack of religion and these kind of things and there's a lot of truth to that i agree with a lot of it but the west was not a highly religious place there was like pioneers it, it'd be uh, hard to, don't you think? Like it would be hard to, I, I think it would be hard for men and women to hold to a religious faith, knowing all the shit they're going through. Cause like you said, Hey, look, there, there's nothing coming. You, you got to figure this shit out on your own. Yeah. Like, there's and no so help. There's, there's no nine one one. Like they're just, Hey, you get what you get that night based on your efforts, wherever you're exactly. at. Hundred percent. So prayer and Protestantism and Catholicism and stuff played a role in everything, but it wasn't like when you read these journals. That's what I'm doing is like reading actual, um, you know, journals of people that were here. You know, going to the source, like primary source stuff, like what you're supposed to do. And you read that, and there's plenty of uh, there's there's definitely plenty of religious people, particularly the Mormons, who had an interesting story um, in and of themselves, but. 
there's plenty of religion there, but it's not, it, it wasn't a sort of Christian drive, you know, that, that pushed people out. It was, it was actually like this idea that they were going to found their own country, you know, and they did. And that's pretty freaking cool, man. And for some reason we, you know, you brought up uh, like Tupac Shakur earlier. Um, we're now we're in this place where we're so we're so untethered from our history at this point that we're like I I feel like as a as a people we're searching for cultural anchors and this is why you see all of the different uh, disparity and calls for balkanization um, which I, I I am one of those people who does that every once in a while but the reason that you're seeing that. Uh, manifest is because we have like once once you lose that tether to to this thing that used to make us who we are then you have to find some new tether and you know for some it's just uh christian nationism sort of thing like god and christian like god god ordained this like a new zion or whatever and then for others it's uh, sort of f the man politics and we're yeah. gonna you know, to take this stuff back and, and all that. And then for others, it's like, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, just um, the, the dumb uh, pop music sung with a, a drawl. So all of a sudden we have to pretend that that's somehow like culturally relevant to people in, the, in you know, uh, rural areas. Which is, and it's just as stupid as all the rest. But like everyone's looking for, like they're, they're, they're looking for an identity fundamentally. And we used to have, like, it used to be that a young Jewish boy in uh, New York would read tales about Billy the Kid and Wyatt Earp and, and, you know, Bat Masterson and these types of people. And he felt like it was important. Like, he, he knew he was never going to, well, maybe he thought he would, and that's fine. But uh, just the fact that the West was there was good enough. You know, that, that that ability to go out there and search for uh, prosperity on your own, under your own terms, just that that was available to you was good enough, even if you weren't mm-hmm. going to go do it. And that's what the West meant was it's just like sometimes I think Alaska does this a little bit, but it only for like the hunting community. Like yeah. People watch all these shows about, you know, doll sheep hunts or whatever moose hunts in alaska or caribou on the north slope or this these kind of things most of those guys know they're never going to go to alaska they just can't afford it but the fact that alaska is there and available to them and like that um that capital w wilderness is is there is sort of good enough like because it, it provides the the space to dream and that's what the west was and we've we've lost that and you know, big tech and uh, corporatism and all this stuff is, is part of what's destroying it. But, you know, we have ourselves to blame for it too, you know. Do you know who Jedediah Smith was? Yes. That, so I'm glad you said you do because I, I just wanted to bring up his story because, <clears throat> you know, le- earlier in 2020, I think the first trip Maddie and I took was up to, we went up to Oregon. And then when we came back, we stopped in Jediah Smith State Park. But, dude, that guy's story is insane. Mm-hmm. Like that dude. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so for everyone who doesn't know, number one, like he's 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 probably more well known for the fact that he got in a fight with a bear when he was like 24 years old and had his face and ear ripped off. 
and they sewed it back on. Yeah. Like this is not done with modern medicine and, you know, anesthetics and all this shit. Like, Hey dude, you got in a fight with a bear. It didn't go well. And, uh, yeah. A grizzly. Yeah. A grizzly. Number one on that. It, it was so, but my thing is this, like, here's a dude who he was essentially, he was 31 years old when he died and he accomplished everything that he did. You know, if, if you guys don't know who Jedediah Smith is, we're not going to spend time educating you on it, but I highly encourage you to just go read on the story of Jedediah Smith because, you know, I feel like it's a national park. If not, it's a state park in California in the Redwoods, but still the, learn this man's story. And it's exactly what Braxton's describing. It's like, he's, he's, he's probably one of many who did those types of things that you just described. And yeah, he's in the annals of history, but like, if it wasn't for men like that, Dude, we don't have a West. Like we don't have these areas. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's 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 completely true. And you're right. He's one of many. There's another book for anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff. That's really good. Is uh, Journal of the Trapper. Um, it's about uh, uh, what's his name? Osborne Russell. Osborne Russell, and he has an incredible story as well. And a lot of the area that he writes about in there is like. I can see it from my house. So that's kind of interesting <laughs> for me, cool. but that's pretty, it's cool. really cool. Yeah. He's got a neat story. He ended up being a, a mayor in California at the end of his life. And it's neat that, yeah, there's lots of, lots of stories like that out there that are available and, they, and they're interesting. Like these guys took on, I mean, just unbelievable uh, risk and uh, yeah, like adventure in its truest sense, you know, it's like, yeah. And we do that in day trips today. You know what I mean? Like we do day trips, you know, we go down to, we can go down to Muir woods in San Francisco and see some redwoods, or we can drive out a few hours to the, you know, Sequoia national park and all like people do these things, you know, we do them in, in the term, you know, I like to call them day trips, but man, this was people's fucking lives. Like they, there, there was nothing waiting for them. There was no, like, if I just get there, everything's waiting. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. I I don't think people realize just how far we've come in the last 160, 170 years, man. Probably less than that. If you think about what in the, in, in the amount of time that the humans have been doing this stuff and settling the West or whatever, and you just look at human history as a whole, as it relates to the United States of America, man, we've done so much in such a short period of time but there was a very small window where people went and made all the things you just described happen. Like, it yes. Yeah. There. That's the other thing. <laughs> and, and it, and it was a short time period. That's exactly right. Um, like the, the peak trapping uh, stuff, like you're, you're talking like 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. it's an extraordinarily short time period. And then, you know, to, to your point about day trips, when, when I was a kid, um, even in the West where we historic, like uh we just have speed limits are faster here, particularly Utah. Oh, yeah. um, I think we were the first state in the union to, to bump it up to 80 on the freeways. Um, when I was a kid, the freeway speed limits were 55. And, you yeah. know, some of that was uh, I Carter about and that. Reagan. It was, stuff it was like, the, like it, I think the original intent was to conserve gas. That- yeah, yeah, fuel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But even so, even in my lifetime, things have changed. Like the difference between driving 55 and 80 over the course of 500 miles is, <laughs> it's a big freaking deal. It's like two or three hours, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's a freaking big deal. 
And, you know, then you think of all of that and maybe you have to do it on your feet. Like a lot of the Mormon pioneers that came over on hand carts and stuff. They, they, so after some Mormons have already got to Utah, I'm reading uh, journals about this right now and they're incredible, but some Mormons had already got to Utah and then they started to proselytize. Well, they had already sent some missionaries over to Britain, but they were proselytizing to those folks and those folks came over. And if they couldn't afford their own wagon, like no one's paying for this, they're selling everything they own in England and coming over to try to get to, you know, the, the Mormon Zion, which is solid to the solid Valley. Um, if they couldn't afford a wagon, then what the church told them to do is buy these hand carts and they just pulled, they walked. And a lot of it, one of the things that's crazy is um, in the journals you hear, you'll like, they don't make a big deal of it, but I would say almost most of the kids didn't even have shoes. And it's, it's like, it's just like a little footnote in the journal. Like we didn't have shoes and they <laughs> yeah. walked from, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Now we, so we they now walked we, across. Uh, we have we have lines for Jordans where people get murdered over them. That's awesome. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Well, and and to be fair, people were getting shot over shoes back then too. For a different reason. Full circle. Yeah, different reasons. Survivability. It wasn't because not looking cool. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now if they're purple, then I'm cap you. But then. But yeah, so they were walking from the East Coast, and some of them, uh, I'm, I, uh, I'm blanking on the name of this particular party, but they walked across Wyoming in the winter uh, pulling these carts, which is just, I know probably a lot of your listeners don't know Wyoming, but Wyoming in the winter, uh, it oh. is a literal hellscape it is okay incredible. so like, you already you already know the story of my very expensive trip across the country that just took place <laughs> dude yeah. you, so you said it all right so for those who don't know i'm going to recap it so <clears throat> i drove from northern california up to utah across wyoming colorado utah well i already said utah colorado kansas missouri you know, and then down in the Tennessee and then back just a different route coming back. But man, I remember you saying like, Hey, be careful when you get into Wyoming because the wind and everything. And I'm just like, bro, I'm fine. But no, there's like times I, here's what I didn't understand. Here's what I did not understand. Cause I remember like reaching down from my phone. I'm like, man, I wonder what I just wonder. And I'm at like 7,500 feet above elevation mm-hmm. and it's fucking dead flat like there was no Mm. climb like you know utah you go through utah you're like climbing through mountains and shit you can see yourself going up no somehow you're in wyoming you're 7500 feet above elevation it's dead flat and there's like 70 mile per hour wind blowing snow across the fucking road and let's go back to the story you just said where yeah there's just people walking with fucking hand cars yeah what for real (laughs) Like for dude, real, that's a different that's a different species. We ain't built like that anymore, man. Yeah, we're not. No, but we are. We just have forgotten that we are. That's that's the thing, and that's what okay, I, that's I hope to be able to do with this book. You know, it's like remind people that just because you're acting like a pussy doesn't mean you are a pussy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it'd be good <laughs> if you could quit being a pussy. It'd be better for all of us. I think yeah, that's the hashtag just, for Clay Travis, the, the sports guy on Outkick. His his hashtag is D B A P, which stands for don't be a pussy. 
Yeah, he's like okay. The biggest, he's like the biggest. He's like the biggest sportscaster in America, right? Oh, now. oh, I, I, I know who Clay you're Travis. About. Uh, he's been like big time anti-lockdown throughout this whole. Oh game. god, yeah, he's been just destroying. He calls them the Corona Bros. He's been destroying that. Uh, shit. Yeah, so, Corona Bros. I yeah, did read Corona. that one. <laughs> yeah, like I, I came to learn about Clay Travis over the past two years. Um, it was mainly because somehow I found him based off of like. Game oh, of real Game quick. Of Thrones text. Yeah, go ahead. What do you get? Was he the guy that got kicked off because he said something about boobs on CNN and they tried to cancel him? Was that that guy? Uh, I, I can Google it real quick, but I doubt it. I feel, okay. like he, I feel like he's too big for that at this point. I feel like they tried to cancel him because he made some really mild joke about boobs and beer or something on cnn I, oh I, yeah I he did remember. yeah he did 2017 <laughs> yeah but you know the thing about clay travis is uh he doesn't bend the knee and i think that's yeah. why it worked because um yeah that dude i think is like he's like early 40s but okay he's carved his path to where like no one tells him anything anymore because he He's on Fox Sports Radio, but he works for iHeartRadio technically. Like he's and he started his own thing without mm-hmm. kicking. The dude's a fucking millionaire. Like he's he's yeah, he's Good. literally Good the him. most, he's the biggest sports talk host in America at this point. And it's funny because That's he always incredible. has these like dust-ups on Twitter with Keith Overman, who he's always like, he always prefaces everything like, Hey, I looked up to you as a kid growing up watching you on Sports Center, but now you're just the biggest, dumbest fucking idiot I've ever met in my life. And it's crazy. <laughs> but uh, but no, like that dude's like he he's I think he's past cancelable, if that makes sense. Like you can't cancel him because he's just that big, which is great for you know people on that side of the aisle because he's gone after everything you just said, like the, the Corona, like he's made it his mission to like take down this fear porn. He calls it fear porn when it comes to the, it is fear you know, porn. The, yeah. So, I mean, I love Clay Travis and I never was into him at first because I just didn't like, like, here's a real petty thing, man. But, and, and people probably say this about me. I know for a fact, they said it about me as a, as a, as a fledgling rapper once upon a time. Yeah. I didn't like his voice. Mm. I didn't like his voice. I liked what he had to say, but I didn't like his voice. And to an extent, if I'm going to be honest, I still don't like his voice. I don't like my voice. It's fine. It, it's voice is a very powerful thing when it comes to the talk market, when you're not looking at someone and it's not visual, it's all audible. But yeah, I just don't like his voice, but I love what he says because I think he speaks common sense, whether it's sports, whether it's pop, what it doesn't matter what it is. I think he speaks common sense and people need that. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I think I heard that guy on Dave Rubin one time. I think that's how I know knew of him. I should say because I think I follow him on Twitter. But um, well, if you don't, you should. And if you're listening and you don't follow Clay Travis on Twitter, you should because he's a good follow. Yeah, no, I th- I think I do. And uh, but I think I heard him on uh, Dave Rubin, and he was talking about the how they tried to cancel him over a totally mild joke that anyone would make and. We have always made every you know, every just, man in America has made. That's probably let's put it. Come that way. on, man. Yeah, it's a freaking joke. And um, jokes aren't. Yeah, funny so anymore, he was bro. on there. Jokes aren't funny. Oh no, they're still funny. Like people are just <laughs> pretending, and that's why I hate them because they're full of crap. They're totally <laughs> full of shit. Yeah. They they think it's funny too. They're just pretending they don't. It's it's bullshit. So he he was. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was talking on Dave Rubin about how he had uh, 
fundraised for Obama and voted for Obama. Oh yeah, he and has, all this yeah, stuff. He, like he's he, not he, a conservative. He, I, guy. he details who he's voted for, and he's not like he's not a fucking like I'm only voting. I'm not a straight party line voter. No, he's voted for yeah. every party and every candidate. I mean, even I voted for fucking yeah. Obama in 2008. Like you know, I'd love people to try to cancel me. Well, again, I already tried. <laughs> try again. <laughs> I would say don't don't call on that because they will. <laughs> that's yeah, a true story. that's a funny thing. Like people try to cancel me, and I believe me, I'm How I'm at a stage now. Braxton like, McCoy, the most American, <laughs> the most American among us, besides Joe Kent. Sorry, bro. Um, but yeah, no, Joe's Joe's, Joe's my hero. I'm, I mean that. See, Joe Joe is very like Joe's just like that guy. He's just he's presidential. He just he's yeah. He doesn't he doesn't take bait? He doesn't he doesn't chase it? He doesn't engage in it. But, you know, you've got some fire to you from time to time. You know, I feel like you do a good job a of little. avoiding staying above the fray. But, you know, you like to wrestle a little bit. <laughs> Every once in a while. Wrestle with I, pigs, which is actually one of the great lines Ron ever said is don't wrestle with pigs. He's actually right. But, you know. Oh, Ron's a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Um, Joe is Joe is very good at that. And I'm. I'm trying, but I, so I find that my Twitter is my first social media account ever that I've been afraid to lose because it's actually useful. Um, every other social media account I've ever had has never done anything for me, but Twitter has, we've sold more books on Twitter in six months than we sold in years on other uh, platforms. Awesome. So what, I would rather not get to, canceled. What do you, what I don't do you know. Because I know, I like, know. obviously, I think we all run in this. We, we both run in the same circles, but you've mm -hmm. you've obviously gotten a pretty good name from yourself fairly quickly. But I was just curious if you could attribute that to anything. Do you think? I, I don't mean, know. You're all I really don't. You're not a fucking phony. That 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 obviously plays well. Yeah, I try not to ever fake anything. Um, well, I shouldn't say I try. I don't fake anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let so, him say it. I'm not going to say it for him. <laughs> so there's that. But uh, I guess that's part of it. And I don't know. And I, I honestly, I think probably there is um, there is a very deep down in our generation, not in the generation before, or excuse me, the generation coming after us, the Zoomers or whatever they're being called right now. I can't remember. But in our generation, there's still uh, a little bit of that sort of um, uh, respect for the American West in there. You know, the, you know, the Marble Man and the Tombstone and all this stuff like not quite so much the Clint Eastwood and, you know, John Wayne stuff, but at least a little, there's like, there's like a, a desire for that at, at, at yeah. some level. Like, I think there's a, I guess what it is, is I think there's a recognition for the importance of that. Like maybe we just don't know why, mm. like people will follow me and they'll, you know, they, they mean well and, yeah. and I get it, but they'll say stuff sometimes. And I'm like, dude, like I, I don't know what you think you're teaching me here but yeah like, like this is stuff my 12 year old or my 13 year old daughter knows you know right. <laughs> like um well, i think and this is just me but i think um especially within the circle now there's a there's a big circle and then there's a smaller circle and there's even a smaller circle but for the most part i think the circle is very loyal 
right to to mm-hmm. the to the things that uh the big circle does right now i get it it's also i, I it's not sustainable because you got to get outside of the circle at some point um which i mm-hmm. think is your best <clears throat> it's probably the best quality you have going for you because i think you know you don't have to sell it as some sort of it's it's this ideological thing no it's like you have a great fucking story that's as american as it gets it talks about sacrifice and overcoming personal demons and we we if you if you haven't read the fucking glass factory go buy it and do it but that that book speaks to everyone it doesn't have to be left right so it, it doesn't have to be it's just it's a book and it's a great story and i think a lot of people can latch onto it and, and and learn something from it. But I think the people who are in our circle support it because they're loyal. It's no different with yeah. you know my dumbass fucking podcast with me sitting here talking for it. It's not on that level. But you know, I I know who listens to this. It's it's a bunch of, you know, loyal. I they're not idiots, but they're a bunch of loyal guys who would all do the same shit for each other. We just support each other. Mm-hmm. But it's very limited. Yeah, and to be honest, it is. It's a niche. It's narrow casting, yeah. as uh, Mark Ripito of Starting Strength calls things. So you call it, you know what? You don't have to broadcast. You can narrow cast. Narrow, speak to what you know to your people who know it, and that's it. And it'll go wherever. But with with, with you, I think you have a story, and, and as your profile continues to grow through Twitter and whatever other social media accounts you push, it it, it it's 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 legit. It's legitimate, man. Like that that story can sell it can sell well and maybe this next book you have is only going to drive those sales as well why not yeah it could be i don't know but i i do think or it might just be the 14 of us on the goon zooms that buy it who knows i don't know (laughs) (laughs) could be and and i mean i know i'm buying it and you haven't even released it yet that's 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 loyalty that's cool there's nothing wrong with that that's how a lot of people are probably going to look at it no, I agree. And, th- and that, that's so long as we're all still around, you know, think things are going to get interesting over the next little stretch. They will. I mean, hundred um, percent. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know where things are going to go, but it's, it's going to be interesting. It's gonna be you worried interesting. about that? Uh, yeah, kind of, but here's what I think. I think a lot of people don't think strategically enough. Like I know I talked to you about this already, but, I think it's entirely possible that what Amazon did with Parler was really a move, like a, a business move, because that's all they ever do. Like, why wouldn't they? Um, was really that was a business calculation, possibly, potentially, because Twitter, they, what they see right away is Twitter's stock is starting to tank based off of their behavior. So they go, oh, we might have an opening here. Parler is their obvious biggest contender, even though like there are some other social network better than something like Parler. But Parler was the obvious contender to Twitter. So if they can take out that, it's just predatory business practice. So you take out Parler, drop them, and Twitter continues to tank. You buy Twitter if you're Amazon. And if you buy Twitter, so a lot of people forget that before Donald Trump in 2016, Twitter was struggling financially. Yeah, but uh, before, uh, because I want you to keep going, but I just, I'm looking this up as you speak it. And literally, like a year, less than a year ago, Twitter was 
at $25 and now it's at 48. So yeah, it lost some market share when Trump's account was suspended, but not much because they've still damn near doubled in a year. What was it? What was it in 2014? Well, 2014, I think, was when their IPO was because I was in a I was in Afghanistan when that happened, and I was like, man, I, if it's if it's cheap enough, I'm gonna do it, and it was just like too much, and I was like, ah, I'm not gonna do it. Um, but I'll, I'll look that up for you. But not IPO because on. yeah, but, but so not IPO because IPO is so speculative. You know, you'd have to go like at least six months post IPO. Um, okay, I'll, I'm gonna get this. So they're forty five dollars right now. But okay, go ahead. So they were starting to struggle financially yeah. and then Trump started to run. So it'd be like early 2015, mid, mid 2015 when he like gets serious about it. All of a sudden Twitter starts to like do better and all of that, but Twitter has still struggled to monetize. So Twitter has a ton of reach. Like the fact that Twitter's stock price. Yeah. Well, because the longest they figured out like, what is this? How do we make money off of this? Right. Like you probably remember. Like, yes. Because no, it was just, this a, is the, Yeah. No, this is the actual point. Twitter, how do we make money off this is the question that they have to ask all the time. Amazon doesn't have to ask that question. Amazon has the best AI in the business right now. If they aggregate their data profile, you know, sort of their shadow profile of you with Twitter's profile of you, they aggregate all of that data and then they have the ability already to market to niches in a way that no other company really can right now so they can monitor so in other words they can target ads in a way that only google can you know is it like google like basically you're looking at trending toward duopoly if this happens mm -hmm. they take twitter they put donald trump back on because you know things tensions of this is this is just speculative tensions have started to, to, to sort of uh, simmer down People are, you know, calming down. We, we've had our transition of power and there's no more of this sort of, you know, bloodlust from the corporate press. Things get boring. You buy Twitter, you stick Trump back on it. First thing you do, and then you just start targeting ads and you double the, the promotional ads in the feed, but you make them work. Like you start seeing ads for, like, if it's me, I'm going to start just throwing this out there. I'm going to start seeing ads for saddles and 3030s and shit. You know what I mean? And you're going to see ads for bourbon and uh, <laughs> California wine. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're yeah. going to do that. Like if I'm saying, if they go this route, they're going to do that hundred percent. And they will make Twitter profitable because the other thing they can do is integrate Twitter with their Amazon prime video. So P prime video is one of the only sort of, uh, uh, like looks like it's gate kept, uh, video apps out there. Like I can put a documentary on prime video if I want to you know, you can yeah. go through the, all those hoops, get it approved, put it on. You can't do that with Netflix. Netflix has to buy it, you know? So that gives them an ability to compete with Netflix, but take, so that gatekeeping aspect makes the content better inherently because mm -hmm. the producer say it was me was going to, I'm not saying I am, I'm just like putting it out there. Say, I want to make a documentary. I know that I'm going to have to at least make this up to a little bit higher standards because it's a documentary platform. It's not, you know, a video, it's an actual right. video platform. It's not just YouTube. So they integrate that thing 
with Twitter and take the live feed aspect of Twitter and integrate that with prime video. And all of a sudden you have an actual competitor to YouTube because now creators can monetize. Cause the only thing that keeps YouTube better than platforms like Vimeo or, you know, whoever else I don't Vimeo is the only other one that I know. Um, I guess there's like bit shoot and some other stuff, but the only thing that keeps uh, YouTube, the sort of, uh, 800 pound gorilla in the corner is that the producer can actually monetize YouTube. Whereas like Vimeo is very difficult to monetize. Well, Amazon can do that easily with prime. They can just do like rename some other category of prime video or just prime video light or prime video becomes this other thing, but then you can also use the, you know, the, the higher end prime video stuff. Like it, like some tech guys can understand this and know how to do it. And I don't talking strategically from a business standpoint this is what i would do if i had those assets and uh if i had bezos's money and amazon's drive this is what i would do that's what i would do and i think they might and if they do it actually could be better for people like you and i but for our country it will be worse because now all the monopoly not monopoly arguments that you were going to level against Alphabet and Google and YouTube and all this stuff mm-hmm. are gone because now YouTube has an actual competitor. Because right now YouTube has something like 90, 98% of the video market share. You, and the other one is Vimeo with like 1.8. Yeah. And then the, the rest are like this tiny little sliver of the pie. Crazy, so if Amazon gets in and they start uh, – you know, working in this space in a, like in the uh, average content producer space in a new way, all of a sudden now they might take 20% of that market share. And now, cause they don't need, they don't need it for money. They need it for ads, right? Like, yeah. they, it, like it can prime video can lose money every day. They don't give a shit. Exactly. It's still yeah. Amazon that's making the money. Right. Same thing they do with their books. Like books don't make any money on Amazon. They, they lose money on those, but it doesn't matter because they stole that market they're like so there's what i'm saying is there is a uh, uh, precedent for this in amazon's business behavior you know their practices so they they get in they take enough market share now all of a sudden you can't argue anymore uh reasonably that uh alphabet and google uh with youtube are an actual monopoly because amazon's got this so it's a duopoly but it's not a monopoly and a duopoly yeah. is pretty damn tough to break up it's like good luck with that. Like how, how can you like, there's just not a good antitrust argument against a duopoly. Like really, because there's just always projections on either end. Right. And then you have to consider that both of these companies have ties to the federal government. Amazon's got, you know, multi $600 million contract with CIA. And that's the one that we know about, you know, they probably have others. Same thing with Google. They've got, They've got, uh, they're pretty intertwined with the government as well. So like the government has a vested interest in keeping these companies around. They don't have, they don't, so far as I know, they don't have, as of today, any contracts with Twitter. So what Twitter's doing, this is just my opinion, obviously, this is pure speculation, but it's just my opinion. What Twitter is doing is they saw the, all these riots and stuff and they, they know that, uh, like these are not dumb people. They know that Elizabeth Warren campaigned on breaking up big tech. Elizabeth Warren doesn't have, as of yet, a cabinet position with Joe Biden. A lot of Republicans are dunking on 
the, uh, Elizabeth Warren right now saying, huh, you, you know, you stayed in and screwed Bernie, uh, you know, to try to help the party. And now the party's not doing anything for you. Don't you feel dumb? That's not the Democrat way there. The Democrats are going to do something for her. What better thing to do than make her the czar of big tech reform? Well, if Amazon and Google are the two companies, she can come in and write regulations and be like the czar of this new agency. And uh, they want, they would welcome those regulations because regulation would mean they can't get broken up. And they're smart people, just like the gun industry is smart. They're going to work around those regulations legally, um, but they're going to be able to maintain their market share. So like they want the regulation, they see it on the horizon. And Amazon is one company that actually has the ability to probably snatch this up, whereas like no one else does. And and it makes sense for them, you know, to grab it. So like I th- anyway, this is what I think is potentially on the horizon. So uh, so going full circle all the way back to where we started from. So five years ago is about as far as I can look back. Uh, Twitter stock was about eighteen bucks a share. Yeah, uh, it's about 48 today. It was about 56 before Twitter got rid of the Trump account. And um, 70,000 others. Yeah, the big purge. That's crazy. Um, you said a lot. <laughs> so I'm trying to, trying to figure out uh, where the hell I was going to take this to because... I think when it comes to Amazon, and I don't know if people know this. So I was, I don't know if it was fortunate enough or as just, you know, timing in terms of learning. But, you know, when I was doing my undergrad, I can't remember what class it was, but we had a case study in Amazon because, you know what I think it was? I think it was, uh, it was something, it was like e-business, the class. But anyway, one of the case studies was Amazon. And it you touched on some of it because, uh, you mentioned books and how Amazon doesn't make anything on books, you know, but that's what Amazon started as like, that was their foundation was, Hey, we're going to sell textbooks and we're going to sell books. And this is what we're going to do. And Jeff Bezos uh, was at, he was at the walkaway point. You know what I mean? He was, he was, he was there. He's like, look, he'd been, he had been losing money for, it was either two or three years. And he had walked in and he was like, look, this is it. This is the last year this is the last year we do this and uh, he did it and it took off. He was profitable and he never looked back and it took a few years of sustained losses, but he didn't cut, he didn't cut bait and walk away, which I think, you know, he, he, he's, he deserves the credit for that because he took his business and its original plan and he's grown it into what it is grown it into today. And I think it's, it's, it's right with what you're saying is because he's taken a company that was at a loss for three or four years and turned it into the most profitable on the planet. Um, but he's got yeah, he's really quick. Yeah, I have to jump in here. You you have to remember another thing that happened during that time was that Barnes and Noble and then whatever that other bookstore is that I can never remember the name of. Uh, uh, they came in and fucking I know this. It's gone borders, now. Borders, borders, borders. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it's virtually gone now. Those two companies came in and crushed all of the small markets. So there was only two competitors at that point. Mm-hmm. So all of that tie to local bookstore stuff, that tether was gone. So Amazon didn't have to break that one. They just then had to break your uh, faith in uh, 
a chain store, which is not hard to do because screw them. So well, like that happened in the background. Business was still a, pr- a fairly new concept. You know what I mean? Like you had well, to sure, create absolutely. you had to create the trust in the, the e-business concept and model. Sure, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bring that up because we're at the point where Amazon is worth you know. I don't fucking know a stupid amount of money and they can do whatever they've got Amazon prime as you've already touched on. They've got Amazon music, which is just, you know, service number 400 in the streaming music industry, whatever, if that's what you want to use, like people are going to use whatever they use for streaming. Right. Um, But they're producing their own content when it comes to television and movies. Like they, they, they have enough money. They they have fuck around and find out money. Let's put it that way. Right. They do. Okay. And why, let me tell you why that's important. If, if my, you know, speculations are correct, which they could be totally wrong because I'm an idiot horse trainer. So what the hell do I know, particularly about tech, but if they are correct, once you monopolize or sort of duopolize the internet, the only reason that iTunes is the uh, sort of, go to streaming platform is because it's on the most uh, uh, popular phone that people use. If you own all of that stuff in your Amazon, you already, you're set up already. Like you, like you point out, you've now you've got a streaming service, you've got a um, music service, you know, a, a streaming music service. You've got uh, Amazon itself and all of this. You already do the Alexa thing. Mm-hmm. Why not then just make your own phone? Why not? Well, because at I that point, we, we put it like this. If I'm a, we've seen that though. If I'm a content creator, well, yeah, but this is where it's different because no one Google, like Amazon Google sucks at phones and they're bigger than all of it. Right. Like no one cares about True, Google but, Pixel because they still got to run the same software that all the other knockoffs that aren't Am- Apple run. You have to create your own software. That's the whole point. I think you have to create your That's software. That's what right? Amazon can do. They can. They this is what, can. Am- this is what separates. Yeah. They can. This is the separation because they're building, they could build bottom up just like Apple did. They're already doing it, but they're actually doing it in a smarter way where they still allow all their stuff on all these other phones. So you get hooked on it. But then as soon as they uh, own this side of the market, all you have to do is like, I don't know about tech, but just encrypted in some way where it can only be used just like Apple does can only be used on an, an Amazon phone. Yeah. And boom, now all of a sudden, all of that, you, you just ripped that market share away from, like you could actually crush Google. And you have to think about this. Someone like Jeff Bezos is not driven by money. Like anyone who thinks Jeff be, Bezos is be driven by point. money. Yeah. No. no, they're blind. He's driven by winning, you know, the idea of winning, which is something, by the way, that I can understand. So if you want to win, taking out Google is that's like the the biggest head on the hydra that would be an incredible you know sort of skull on your mantle if you're jeff bezos and at that point who cares if you get but that's who cares if you get broken up yeah but that also takes into account or or doesn't take into account the relationships that bezos has with those leaders of that 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 company right for example like we can't just assume like say you you run google and i run amazon like we can't just like I would I wouldn't try to fucking destroy you, right? 
So that's yeah, what I'm saying. But do you think that Jeff Bezos is loyal to anybody at Google? I don't know. I don't know. I I, I can't even speculate on that because I don't know. Like I don't know anything about his him. his his business practice from day one has been uh, crush smaller competitors to build himself, which is fine. Like that's a, a way of. But that had world. to come after the fact where he literally lost for years to the point where he was on the verge of bankruptcy and couldn't he couldn't for. He, he literally couldn't sustain what he was trying to do until it turned around. So he's known some failure, is, some hardship. You know, he's, he's known. This that. is how, you know, this is the point. This is how, you know, he's not driven by money. Anyone who was driven by money would have backed out and Just wouldn't done something else. That's fair. He wants to win. Yeah. So, you know, a guy like that, I like he might feign loyalty or friendship with someone at Google, but. He's not going to care if he can beat Google. That would be the only reason I say this is I think like this in a lot of ways. I just don't have the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the success. So I know what I would do if I was like w- acting on my worst instincts and I had that kind of capital, that's what I would do. Well, I know this, I've never liked anything Google's has done does. So I'm kind of for it. You know, I'm, I don't, I don't mind. Um, I'm <laughs> so I want to go back to what you're saying about Amazon though, because I think this is why people have been so drawn to Apple is because it's 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 hard to replicate, right? They've they've made it very, hey, this is what it is. You don't get to customize, and now they're slowly moving into this customization thing, which I don't think people are really taking advantage of. They like the simplicity of the fact that everything's in place for them. Um, mm-hmm. there'll always be a niche of people who want to go do the, the Android games and shit. I think it's corny. I like Apple because it's everything that Google and Android isn't. But now where does Apple or not Apple, where does Amazon come in? Like, cause they've got to create something in between that. They've got to create this, this next thing. And I'm not sure how they would go about doing it. Cause it, 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 no, it would, it would have to be years. Yeah, like, I don't know. You I can't don't, just come out with something and be like, oh, I'm Jeff Bezos and this is an Amazon's new thing. And like, you, you can't just take no, this, market this share. This is what I'm saying is once you have the market share, this is what this is the point I'm trying to make is once you have the market share, you absolutely can. You 100% you can. Like once everyone's moved over, like think of what's the what's the Kindle thing, uh, the fire or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Some people, like how long did that last? It didn't last. It's trash. And it was Amazon that broke that. And they'll just do it again and they'll just keep working in this, uh, you know, in this, like in the open for now, and then they'll just close the borders. And if you think of like Apple, I use Apple for the same reason as you. It's intuitive and simple and it works for me. And I have a bunch of, I shouldn't say a bunch, but I can, my phone can connect to my computer and uh, the iPad or whatever. Like I can just plug it all in and it's great. But if app, if uh, I think of, like what, what's the last great innovation that Apple has made? Like they put three cameras on their phone and the camera is pretty yeah, I was incredible. Gonna, I was going to go further back and just say it was the iPad. Yeah. Cause everybody's like, tried to make a tablet. No one buys those tablets, but they all buy a fucking iPad, but that's, yeah. I mean, sure. The, yeah. A mobile computer do with without having iPod. to fold it. That's essentially what the iPad is, right? Mobile computer 100%. that you don't have to fold. <laughs> and, and has a great screen. And uh, a lot of capability, like it's it's a good it's a good product. It, it is a good product. Why can't Amazon do that? They can do that so they can do the same thing so easily. But I the still only think reason, if, like, I still honestly think Braxton, it comes down to the soft. It comes down to the operating system because you're still you still you, got one against the other. You still got 
whatever Android or whatever Windows or Microsoft is versus Apple. Like that's see, this is this is the thing. He could be iterating on software. They could be iterating on software right now and be working on it. Like if no company Grumpa like that. Chat. That's what we need. We need Grumpa to try. That's and true. Break. He's not here though. It's true. No, it's true. But they could be, they could easily be iterating as we speak all day, every day. Like it would be no, like if you have a long-term projection. So like, let's say my crazy um, dipshit horse trainer speculation is true. You would be planning for this decades before you ever released it. If you're Amazon, that's like, this is not a company who's just going to fly by the sea that are pants on something. They're not mm, going to do that. Yeah. Not what do you think they pitched <clears throat> Alexa to people? Did you say when direct or? competitor? Oh, no, I how? said, why? Oh, okay. I got you. It's the, the best direct competitor to the Siri thing. Which I'm I'm too Dell Gribble to use, so I I yeah I don't I won't I don't know, use I, either. I block that shit. <laughs> same, like same thing. I'm not putting a freaking Alexa in my house. That's not going to happen. But what did Alexa really do? Think about it. Like, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but I I struggle to believe that Alexa was put in place to uh, boost Keep sales. Keep talking. Amazon? I'm making you the, the soul on the screen, but keep going. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so Alexa is not there to boost sales for Amazon. It, I mean, maybe, but it, like marginally, I guess, but I, I just doubt it. It just doesn't make sense. Like how many people really holler at their Alaska Alexa and order something they don't they go to their app and they you know type it in it's just more convenient it's quiet like a lot of people don't just want to talk to themselves in the middle of nowhere so one thing alexa does is we do know that um amazon has a cia contract which is i think 600 million dollars or something so could be that but also it's a direct competitor to siri uh to siri so maybe you're working for so you're strengthening your ai 100 percent um, you're working on voice recognition. You're working on uh, uh, your like usability. Like you're seeing what not usability. Uh, uh, like basically, you, you're you're figuring out which tasks are most important. So like that's what that thing's doing. And in the background, you can be like they can hire anyone. So software engineers can be going, okay, this is what people really do. And this is what, where I think this is going to go. And you just start iterating software from there. And it doesn't have to be released anywhere. It's just, just iterating it and just using it and iterating it and fine tuning and all of that. And they're going to take all of the best parts of Apple and all of the best parts of Android and sort of mesh them. And then they're going to seal that shit just like Amazon does. And they're not going to let anyone in that thing. No freaking way, except for maybe the federal government because they already have contracts with the feds. So, man, um, I, they look, might do I, that. I've already learned. I've wish. I mean, these questions have been brought up multiple times in the certain industry I work in. Is like, why don't we just go through these companies and it's like, and they always their default answer is always, "Do you know how expensive that would be?" And I'm like, "All right, cool." Um, but no, I don't. I don't pretend to think that like the end all be all is either Android or Apple iOS for the rest of eternity. Um, I, w- I don't know if it'll be Amazon. It could be, it might be someone else, but I would assume that there's going to be more options available. And it comes down to the actual makers of the phone. I don't, I don't know anybody. Do you know anybody with a Google phone, the pixel? Do you know anybody with that? I don't. 
uh, yeah, I had a friend that had one. But I don't even think it's the phone have- at this point, Braxton. I think it's just the you either want Android or you want iOS, right? You got to, you got sure. But you got to remember that before Apple uh, made the iPod and the iPod took off, uh, they were talking about breaking up Microsoft as a monopoly because they yeah. owned, you know, inter- Internet Explorer, you know. Yep. Um, someone is going to break in and it ain't going to be a startup. <laughs> it ain't going to no? be some startup so? phone producer. No, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And like, I know Gab is trying to make their own phones and stuff and like they're hedging. Their they, really? they did some smart things. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they're working on a phone. Um, they, they did some smart things. They bought their own servers and all that. But the thing is like, that was a, like a seemingly smart move because you can't be canceled. But the problem is, the whole system is so slow. Like I started a Gab account. I can't even use it. I can't even, like, you can't even hardly get a page to load. Yeah, I, I started so one you, and I, I deleted it last night. Cause I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't do anything else, man. And I know parlor lift. Um, but even I, I didn't do anything on parlor except put my fucking show links up. Like it's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, I think going off of what you're saying is like, I don't think making your phone is, is the solution. I think it's, you have to make, you have to make no, 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 software, no, no, no. man. You have to make, no, 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 no. You have this to is give where people wrong. the options. In, in my speculative world, the phone is the fence around the prison. You know, it's but not, if I can jailbreak my is, phone and I can choose which software to run it with. That's what, I, that, that's, that's your, that's your battle. Okay, that's one percent of people who use phones. So, oh, okay, fine. Once you own the market share, in, mm-hmm. this is in my speculative world, but once you own that portion of the market share that I I think is pretty obvious. It, in my, I should say, well, it looks as if to me yeah. um, that that's what Amazon's working on. Uh, once you own that, you just like you do you you built. You build in the uh, sort of social trust that you have with Apple because that's what we we're both talking about. Just like, right? You know, it, it works for us. So you build that in through other platforms. You know, whether it's you know your your television or just your computer or even your phone, all that. You build all that up, and it becomes the most useful tool that you have. And then once you have all of that sort of in uh, aggregated, then you encapsulate it in a phone and then you have an actual duopoly at that point. So, so the phone in this, <coughs> in this theory would be the concertina wire and not the <laughs> fortress, you know? Okay. I just, I don't know. I just think like, I feel like the, the saturation is in the phones, but not the software that runs them. Cause if, like I said, like you still, it, it's just iOS and Android. And that's why I feel like if I'm going to be one of those companies and we were kind of talking about this with Amazon is like, you need to make the next software that people want. Because even if you go back to iOS or you look at what runs Mac, that's like three to 4% by best estimates of the personal computer software. Like it's, it's primarily windows, which is why it's so easily hacked and people don't fuck with Mac for the most part because it's such a small market. Right, but it's also the most uh, popular phone uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Like no one, like we've already both agreed or admitted or agreed or whatever that we don't use 
iPhone because it's the best phone. We use it because no. it's the most simple. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So Amazon takes that lesson and just integrates all of those things into their new phone. It doesn't have to be the, the best software. Yeah. Like would you it do doesn't it? have to impress. Would you, would I you would go to it? The money. What's yeah. That? You know, and see, this is, this is the other thing that's important. So if, if they make Twitter a, uh, a safer place than it is right now for dissident voices mm-hmm. and they integrate um, prime video in such a way that it's an actual competitor to YouTube where a content creator um, like me or yourself can make money, then absolutely. I would totally go there in okay. a second. And you know who else would do it? Tim pool and uh, um, all of these other big YouTubers, they would do it too. Dave Rubens yeah. of the world. They're going to well, do the same I, thing. I think everyone will go like, especially the people you're naming, like the people who are already making money, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely take their content to other platforms where they can make more money. I mean, yeah, they're gonna exactly. I, so this I mean, is here, here's a bad example, but I think it's a great example because we, we okay, the the OnlyFans phenomena, right, with women. But you know what? At the same time, the ones who are making money from that, they make money off of fucking Instagram. They make money off of sites where they don't have to do the the nudity or any of that stuff because they're popular. And if you're popular, you take your site or your content or your likeness to another site where you can still monetize over there too because. Braxton, if if you've got 10 million followers on Twitter, you'll have a few million in a few days on another site as soon as you start it. I mean, that's just how this shit works. And then you're playing both sides against each other and you're and you're you're essentially doubling your money, right? Because why wouldn't you? Why yes, would you limit yourself is, to one platform? Yes, yeah, no, this is exactly what they would do. So they would open it up and these people would move their stuff over to Amazon Prime Video or whatever they call yeah. the, the new thing. They're going to move that stuff over and they're not going to say you have to, they, they're going to learn from the Joe Rogan phenomena of going to Spotify Mm -hmm. and which, you know, everyone should have learned from uh, Howard Stern when he went to uh, Siri, same sort of stuff happened. You know, he lost a a giant percentage of his audience. So they're not going to do that. They want you to keep the audience on the other side and there's going to be a cultural implication here. So, if, if they move it over and then YouTube says, well, if you multicast on Prime's thing, then you can't be in the YouTube partner program anymore. Then YouTube is the bad guy for kicking you off of YouTube. So then yeah. all of a sudden, Amazon's new thing is the sympathetic figure. You see what I'm saying? It's like the mm-hmm. sympathetic company. They're, they're the company that's opens everybody. Shit, you can just use our stuff. Like you're welcome to use uh, uh, Facebook and uh, all of this too, but you know, we allow Amazon Twitter users to also use Gab and we don't care. You just, we're just trying to build this for you. So they, they yeah. do all of that. And then eventually over time, it's their market. Like YouTube didn't, YouTube never had some policy that was like, you can't broadcast the same crap on Vimeo, you know, same stuff. They never did that. If they did do that, you know, people said these, awful jerks are, are dropping DMCA violations on v, you know, Vimeo or whatever. Amazon's not going to do that either, but they're going to pull people over and you know who might be available? Someone like Joe Rogan or the next Joe Rogan because this is not going to be like a two-year th- well, it could be a two-year thing, but it's not likely to be a two-year thing. It's probably more likely to be like a 10-year thing. Yeah, or a guy like you. And it's true. <laughs> just, so, no, I was going to say I'm the next Joe Rogan, just nobody knows it yet. Um, no. no, let me tell you why it's true. Because they'll do what they've done 
for every other part of their industry. They're going to make it so people like you can actually make money on their service. It, like it'll be, they'll take a loss, a marginal loss on uh, people, c- creators like you and I. Um, they'll take that loss and they won't care. Like it just won't matter because what they're trying to do is build up that social trust. And then as soon as they have enough of the market, they're just going to fence it off and that'll be that. And then it will be a more of a head to head thing with YouTube, but the average content creator is going to say, screw YouTube. It's hard to get into the partner program. Amazon makes it easy. I had to follow these rules and I get paid on day one. Why the hell would I not go to Amazon? So that's how you take it over. Like, YouTube started as a cat video platform mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it ended up with Joe Rogan. This is the most powerful name in media, you know? Mm-hmm. Amazon can just replicate that. Isn't they can learn from history and do it again. Yes. Isn't that it crazy? Is. But like, it's if not you follow change. Joe Rogan's career arc, isn't like did anybody ever think like that this guy would be the one to go to Spotify for a hundred million dollars? like it's, no it, for it sure it blows not. my mind no. like this is the fucking fear factor guy that you and i probably grew up in high school watching sure yeah and he had mm-hmm. a he had a great understanding of you know he got into the ufc at the right time he actually trained it and had, that's his background um he's got a natural yeah, he's- talent for calling live fighting events which you know let's let's be honest like if I sit down the average person, they can't he's do the that. best ever. Yeah. yeah. Like he's great at what he does, but at the same time it's authentic because mm-hmm. he fights and has a background and then he may not be a, a UFC level fighter, but he knows what he's talking about. And then on top of that, he does a podcast where, you know, I, I honestly, there's no difference between what you and I are doing. What he's doing is just, we can't do drugs on the air, but good for him. Well, he's, got the, he's got the recognition. He's great at what he does. I love it. I honestly, I take a ton of inspiration from it. Um, man, I just think that's fucking nuts that he can do that. And I think it's great for him. And I love it. I love that. That dude's going to make a hundred million dollars to just talk to his fucking friends. That's it. hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and he's, he's also a very, very talented guy. And, and yeah, like, I think a lot of people, I, I would take nothing away from Joe. He's great. I think it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, it's just a guy having a conversation because that is what it is. But he's also very talented. You know, he's, yeah. he's very good at totally. what he does. Um, it's the same thing. Like even uh, it's interesting when you do stuff with professionals, you just um, it's the small stuff and you'll just like feel it. Like when I did Jesse's show the other day. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd never talked to him before. And so he gave me a layup you know, softball joke entry, you know, gave me an opportunity to, to make a joke early, um, to make me comfortable, you know, and to, to like signal, you know, I'm, I'm one of you, it's all good, you know, all that stuff. And it was great. And it made it soft and simple. But then what I noticed, um, as we were, I noticed it as we were talking, cause I've done enough interviews with other people, but it's also that like his ability to segue between subjects, uh, was, like he's just some people are pros yeah. and he's a pro, you know, and then also the ability to discern when there is no solid segue and you just have to do like a hard, you know, transition. He just knew when to do that and did it. And it's just like you feel, I don't know, it's weird. Like as the interviewee, you feel when people do that and it's, it's kind of, you're almost in awe of it. It seems, mm. you know, it seems dumb maybe to somebody who doesn't do anything in the, the media world, but there is a difference between amateurs and professionals and some people are just very good at it and and joe is one guy who's like very good yeah and jesse's pretty darn good too 
Yeah, he's all right. I mean, he's still a Marine and he's tall and he's ugly and whatever. But um, <laughs> um, no, Joe, Joe does, Joe does the great things. And I, I think that, I think <laughs> I've noticed, I've saw some people like tagging Joe Rogan and trying to get you on that. And I think that would, that'd be fucking funny. But if you do get on that, I just need you to be like, so I was on this podcast. It's called there will be at some point in the three hours that you'll talk to him. Um, so make sure you do that. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I would I would press X for doubt on uh, <laughs> getting on Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, you never. I mean, look, it it it's definitely it's it the the story of the glass factory. If you haven't bought that book already, you should, probably should go to braxtonmccoy.com or go to Amazon and look for the glass factory and get that book because it's a book everyone I think in this uh, man more than ever in this fucking climate, you should read it because it's not, it's not a war story. As I described, it's not a war book. It's, it's, it's a, it's a story of personal triumph. And I think that's, um, I think that's more important now than ever before. And, you know, when you read the book, you'll understand it, but there, there's one thing I, I've, I've always wanted to ask you and I never got to do it on the first one. And I'm going to do it now. And it, and it kind of like, it ties into, I think, what we talked about initially with the, you know, the, the pioneer generation and some of the stuff with the West. But I think your last name is, is, is pretty obvious, right? Like mm-hmm. your last name's McCoy. It, this isn't something that even the, the most obtuse American would never have claimed that they haven't heard of that name before. So how did your family or where are you in that? Like, how did you guys end up out west or, or or what kind of what's your involvement with that and how did you end up in the, the current state that you're in like i just well, i, I want to uh, at this point because i already told you i'm team mccoy whatever whatever <laughs> we break back off it's team mccoy you know i don't know what the hatfields were but i don't know any hatfields i only know a, a mccoy so i'm team mccoy by default well yeah, so we so that Hatfield McCoy they do a, a family reunion. Oh crap, did I lose you? Oh, no, you're back. Go. We're good. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a there's like a a family reunion deal every year. It's like this big thing. Thousands of people go and Have all this. And so we we no no okay. absolutely not. I, I don't do stuff like that. The biggest <laughs> named McCoy right now in the world, and he doesn't go. Awesome. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but. Um, I'm saying so. Yeah, the potato famine, the Great Famine um, in Ireland. We, our family left, and uh, well, parts of our family anyway left, and you know, some came later. Came out here, and then my uh, great grandfather was living in the Ozarks as a, uh, you know, uh, American immigrant or whatever, and he enlisted in the military, and then he went to uh, Utah as part of the. Uh, Manhattan Project, but it was what? it was like an offshoot. Yeah, so there's a, this thing in Utah. It's called, I think it's called Dugway Proving Grounds, and it was sort of a uh, working on kind of an offshoot of the uh, Manhattan Project. So anyway, All that's right. how he ended up out there. And then my great grandma Chloe uh, was living in Utah from Texas, and they met out here while he was on duty. Um, and then you know. They got married, and when he got, you know, out of the arm, he uh, moved back to Utah to be with her for a bit, and then they, you know, anyway, then they uh, moved back to the Ozarks, and she ended up, she died in Texas, but anyway, yeah, anyway, so from Ozarks to, to Utah to 
all that. So my my grand my actual grandfather stayed after they left. He was like I think he was eighteen or so when they left, but he was married by then, so he stayed and and they went back to the Ozarks and then uh, my great grandpa died and then my grandma moved to Texas. So that's how we ended up in Utah, <laughs> kind of from so Ireland to uh, Arkansas to Utah. So um, was was your family a part of you know what we described early on in this? discussion like you guys part of the, the half film generation pioneer no 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 uh my wife's family was but but mine wasn't so uh my uh mother's side they they actually had a couple of they had a couple of pioneers like way back in there okay. my great my uh grandma who's still alive she she was born in a dirt floor shack in west yellowstone montana Damn. your um, great grandmother's still alive no my grandma Oh, your grandma. I was about to say, um, shit, man. That's fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, great, great grandmas are all dead, but... Um, <laughs> great grandmas in the you, hundreds, I know. But... <laughs> no, my, my one great grandpa lived for a long time. He died um, in his early 90s, but that guy was... He was an impressive man. He was a, a, a bomber pilot and all the stuff. And he... when the uh, About a week before he died his back broke he was running on a treadmill oh. he, he used to he had, so he had like a big uh pool and not a pool uh ice bath thing it's like a big ass trough is what it really like a whirlpool i don't know yeah. if you remember those but yeah, he had a yeah, whirlpool absolutely. in the basement and he had an ice maker and he would fill that thing up with ice and he would uh do push-ups and uh like basically calisthenic type stuff and then run on a treadmill and then he would get in that ice bath and sit in there for 30 minutes he did it every day of his life and right before he died, he uh, was running on a treadmill and he, his back broke. And the reason on it broke is he had bone cancer. Yeah, he had yeah. bone cancer in his spine. So uh, just, you know, the bones were weakened. And yeah, so they took him in and, uh, you know, he's in the hospital for like a week and then he died. But yeah, he was a tough SOB, that guy. He was super tough. That's, that's fucking nuts, man. That is, yeah. that's like, I can't even imagine, like, I hate running to this day and I just do it because I have to, I, that's the only reason I mm -hmm. run. I went through my running stages where I was like, Oh, I like running. Oh, I'm going to train for a marathon. Oh, I'm going to do marathons. So now where I'm just like, I run strictly because I have to, it, there's no other yeah. reason. As soon as I no longer have to, I will never run again. I promise you. I won't. I really won't. Um, but I only run it because I have to. And I can't imagine someone like, you know, him, He's running because it's what he likes to do. It's how he stays in shape, you know, whatever. And he breaks. I don't do you... think he liked it either. Well, but he broke his back. Like that's <laughs> like, can you, well, I don't even know how to, so... like, how could that have felt? Well, so the only, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's he was a fucking tough awful, bastard. Man. He went awful. through, that guy went through a rock crusher. Uh, oh, that's the like... one that you wrote about, right? Mm, oh, yeah. fuck dude. That dude is like 40 years old or something. Yeah. That guy's awesome. He's, I love that. I'm 40. It, it, he was he was a bad mother effing man. He was tough. Yeah, he was a tough right. Hey, buy the glass factory. You can read all about it. Anyway. Yeah. No, he was a neat guy. In fact, when I went to boot camp, he was already, gosh, he must have been 80 years old by then. And I was like just graduating high school wrestling. Like I was in pretty darn good shape. And um state champ he's like how many push-ups no i i never want to state per, i never want a personal state title yeah, it doesn't um, matter I you're on won. the team you're on the team you're i should have well, i should i should have won too but i 
I got kicked out of one tournament and the, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, <laughs> then my senior year, I, that was rough. I got super sick, but anyway, um, <laughs> my junior year, that was the one that was the most frustrating, but um, anyway, so I'm getting ready to go. You can't to, fight uh, your opponent in the parking lot, Braxton. You're supposed to wrestle. Them. Well, that's actually almost exactly how it happened. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> it was a church parking lot, but yeah, otherwise. So anyway, yeah. So right before I go to boot camp. Um, he was all, you know, he's a big physical fitness guy, just that generation, just that's a tough guy. Yeah. And he's like, how many pushups can you do? And I was like, I don't know, grandpa. I, like, I don't, I don't like practice how many, like I don't max out on pushups every night. I have no idea. And, uh, you know, anyway, so the famous, you know, how many can you do grandpa? And he goes, well, one more than you, um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is what I've told every person who's ever asked me that since then the rest of my entire life. Um, and I know it's like a cliche, but yeah, but it's a mindset. And anyway, so we, we, he's like, okay, let's do some push-ups. And so I get down do push-ups with him. I think we got to 80 and I just, I gave up to give him the win, you know, legitimately. Yeah. Cause I was sitting there thinking like this old bastard just freaking <laughs> 80 pushups. Like it just in my brain. I'm like, that is incredible. You know? Um, yeah. So I, I think it was like, you know, 80, 81, somewhere in that ballpark, but that is some impressive shit for an 80 year old guy, you know? Yeah, that really is. That's cool, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Cause I, I, I've learned some, uh, some family history recently just you know it's just cool to i think people still take for granted and i know i did growing up when i especially when i was younger but now you get older you start to respect it more but like you take for granted you know the your own family who's come before you and the shit that they've done like you discount it like you don't quite take it as serious and it's just like man they've done some cool ass shit. And if you didn't get a chance to talk to them about it, it kind of sucks. Cause you can only, you know, romanticize it or, or try and talk to other people who know about it, but that's a cool ass story. And I, I, I think people should, you know, learn about that stuff sooner rather than later. I totally agree. And I think uh, that's a great point. And that's the point of the new book is we've done the same thing, exactly what you're describing. We've done the same thing to our culture. Like we've culturally forgotten where we came from. And this, this is the idea is like, just to remind us what actually built this country and who those people were. Cause, and this is not going to be like some history book, right? Like that's yeah. the thing I don't write. I don't write like that. It's, you know, just going to be stories and, uh, but just it's it's honestly it's not even like it'd be wrong to say it's a political book. It's just trying to make the point that we have forgotten what people did to make this place, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't the technocrats that did it. You know, it was it was people that walked across the country with no shoes on in the winter. And it's just mind blowing. Yeah, it's mind blowing, <clears throat> and that's it something that should be respected. It, it happens. It's real. It's yeah, not it's, mythos. It's, it's, yeah, that, that really, should happen. We're really not like it. it's not like some embellished story of you know you know ninth century England in the fucking Great War with whoever. It like this that stuff probably happened too, but it you know stories change over time. This hasn't. We haven't had that much time passed to where we can really change up the details and and books that are in print 
that you're reading. You're like you're talking about reading these journals. So you're pulling these stories from that. So I yeah. think that's cool, man. The journals uh, are incredible. You got a title yet? Uh, no. Well, I mean, I have a working title, but I think it kind of sucks. So I don't want to. What's, what's the working title? You want to share it? Maybe we can get some feedback. Uh, why the West is great and you suck. <laughs> no, I, I, got... <laughs> I think that's great. Actually. All right. So no, um, go ahead. Just uh, the working title is uh, the West and why it matters. Um, but it's, you know, it's like a, it's, it's gay. So, well, gay G H E Y. Yeah. Hey, don't worry because um, I put this out on uh, grandpa's site and I have to ask you a few questions before we get out of here. Let's um, do it. So I need to figure out how to work his website because apparently I'm an admin and I don't even know how to work it. So, but I'll, yeah. So any, anyone who's on digital drop zone, I, I, I made a post earlier and, and the reason I actually asked that was because I want people's input for this specifically for this book that I'm working on. So I feel like I'm always going to be asking questions on there. Um, okay. I'm going to use that as sort of as a sounding board. Assembly area, digital You should check it out. Um, I, I know it's on here and I'm going to keep efforting my search unless, you know, grandpa deleted it, but there it is. All right, here we go. Nope. That's something about cats. Click the wrong That's link. Better we'll not get do it to me. Cats are terrible. No, cats are not terrible. You're terrible. True. Also cats. Mm, also, look, I'm... Le- okay, here we go. All right. All right, we got a few questions on here. Um, wow. All right, you ready? You ready for some... Yep. Uh, okay. Let's, let's do um, it. At what age were you perusing your father's Playboys when you decided you wanted to live your life like a live-action Marlboro Cowboy ad? Well, well uh, <laughs> I, I said I would ask all of them, so I'm going to ask them all. Uh, and yeah, also, uh, well, go ahead. That's going to be a no for me on that one. I, I like the live action Marvel. Don't smoke, kids. It's terrible for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the vulgarity stuff. I like. There's some people. I'm not going to say the guy's name. He does some funny stuff or whatever. But like, I, I don't know. I'm kind of. Call me prudish, whatever you want, old fashioned. I don't, I don't really like the vulgarity stuff that much. But you know, I'm, I'm also a non-censor, so you're able, like, I'm never going to tell you you can't say stuff. But it's just kind of not my thing, you know. Okay, there you go. That's fair. Uh, the follow-up was who was the centerfold of that issue? But since there wasn't an issue, there's no problem. All right. Um, uh, this guy mentions that he's having a hell of a time finding the last episode that you and I talked about. Well, that's because I already said, look, it's gone. But for every $100 you Venmo me to E Bandazeski, um, that's my Venmo. If you need <laughs> Good proper luck spelling, spelling yeah, if you need proper spelling, <laughs> by all means, hit me up and I'll tell you. Um, but for every $100 you Venmo me, I will send you one minute of that interview because I still have it. Like the, the, the archive is there. It's very strong. It's very protected. Um, and I'm sure if you sweet talk Braxton and, and send him some, what is it? A basin? Is that what this is on your head? Great Basin? Deep Basing. Oh, it's made by Great Basin Hat Company, yeah. Oh, but it's not a Stetson. What are, are there classifications no. of hats? Uh, well, it's a custom hat made by a custom um, maker. So he's fancy, all right? He's not fucking around. 
All right. This is a custom <laughs> hat. And support yeah. your local business. That's the okay. Well, anyway, that's probably one way you could also get that. But uh, I'm sorry, um, displaced Appalachian. Um, <laughs> but that's where you can find the previous interview. It's gone though for now. Hundred bucks per minute. Uh, let's see. Who do you think the greatest Greco freestyle and folk style wrestlers are? And I already know. I already know who asked this problem. Okay. And, <laughs> and who does he think the best MMA grappler of all time is? He did say he'd probably be able to guess who this is based on the question. Yeah, that Beauregard guy. I really like that guy. Uh, <laughs> Um, the greatest freestyle wrestler of all time for me, I have to say, I, and I know it's, it's maybe not true and it's, but Dan Gable went through the 71 Olympics and didn't have a point scored on him. It's hard for me to argue with that, you know, so, and, you know, John Smith's great. There's a lot of other great wrestlers and, and of course, you know, you can go into reference, but I don't like to give them any credit, but, um, <laughs> So for me, it's got to be Dan Gable only because of his performance in the Olympics was just legendary. That maybe maybe doesn't make him the best of all time, but I'm going to say that's the best Olympic performance of all time. Um, best Greco. Boy. Boy, it's pretty hard to argue with the uh, – I almost said Kremlin, but it's not Kremlin. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the guy that uh, – Oh, I almost said a rude thing that Rulon beat from Russia. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but like he's probably got to be, even though he's Russian. Um, that was a great match, I think. Gosh, it's been a while. Uh, best MMA grappler of our time. At this point, it's pretty tough to argue against Khabib. Sakuraba was really impressive, and I, I think doesn't get. I love that dude. That guy was great. Just doesn't get the credit. Different times, different times, though. You know, yeah, like every yeah. You know. But to be in that era and to be, uh, you know, beating Gracie's is really a super impressive thing because it was like that. It was just so new. Um, yeah. So and I think he's got to get fighting. For it, that. Like it evolves it so quickly. Like you can't yes. really you can't really compare errors. You know what I mean? Like Babe Ruth would probably still be a great hitter today, but yes, Sakuraba would right. probably get. You know, he might get destroyed today because fighting has just evolved so quickly. It's true. The dude was going out there with both of his knees taped up from like ankle to freaking <laughs> hip, you know, <laughs> He's, uh, yeah. like smoking cigarettes and shit. He, yeah. yeah. He deserves credit for all of that. Um, and yeah, so I, I honestly, I think it's pretty tough to argue against Khabib. It really is. Uh, he kind of you know, came out of um, nowhere Josh, and was gone pretty quickly though. Don't you think? Like I Khabib? know he had, I know he had a lot of fights, but he didn't have a lot of fights in the UFC. Oh, I think he's got. Oh, he's, he's got gonna have five. twelve in the UFC. Is it? I I, I didn't think he had any. Either way. Well, he he was his first fight in the UFC was. Oh, it was a while ago. It was like 2012, 2014, right in there. Um, dude, he beat he beat RDA years ago, a long time ago, and he manhandled RDA when RDA was RDA, but like before people knew right. he was RDA. Twelve, 12 fights. Good job. Yeah, he's really good, um, you know, and then Josh does some really neat stuff. I, I love catch wrestling. He's he does, especially at heavyweight, like some of the stuff he pulls off is just, you know, he's cool. And then 
DC's was like impressive, but it was more. Yeah. Uh, he kind uh, of. I don't, no, there, I don't was know. No, there was no style points to it. He was well, just other good. than when he picked Josh Barnett up and spun him around <laughs> and slammed him. Yeah. Um, anybody picking Josh Barnett up like that is an impressive SOB. But, but yeah, so I, I got I to go Khabib, and I know that's the easy answer, but I just can't think of I anyone mean, sometimes else. The you know, Ryan Hall. Oh, shit, Ryan Hall. Ooh. You know a fight I would love to see is Ryan Hall Khabib. Oh, that would be okay. – that's, that's on my dream list. And then, you know, of course, GSP <laughs> – it's tough to yeah, argue with two, but bigger though, right? Thirty pounds, twenty four. Well, yes, yes, yeah. he's a seventy yeah, pounder, he's a big but... boy compared to Khabib. Khabib was one fifty five, right? Well, Khabib, yeah, but he's huge, one fifty five. Or I'll bet you they're not that different in size because GSP oh. never cut a lot of weight. Yeah, Khabib walks around two hundred pounds. I know he it's not what's crazy though, like to cut that much weight. Like I, just, I that doesn't. It's just not healthy, man. It's incredible. It's amazing, especially to perform the way he does. Like what he did at Gaethje in that last fight was just uh, man. Like I really, I was one who thought that was going to go the opposite direction, and just for Gaethje to get like, dude, Gaethje got embarrassed. Let's be honest. Like so I, I thought Gaethje was going to give him a fight because everyone always said was before Gaethje knocked out Ferguson, like, yo, Ferguson's the guy that's going to beat Khabib. No, he's not. Not based off of that. Like well, okay. A Gage lot of people were saying that. But... Ferguson, like that was a one-sided four-round just destruction. And guess what? It would have been like Khabib versus Ferguson would have been the same thing. Yeah, no, he it would have been quicker. He would have fucking 20. just put him on the ground and done whatever he wanted to over the first or second round, right? Like that's what I'm saying. So that's why I was surprised at how poorly Gaethje performed. Maybe, maybe Gaethje wasn't ready for it. I don't know. Maybe. No, I think he was surprised by the pressure. Um I, I sure would have been, uh, you know, if I was in his shoes, I'd have been very surprised by the amount of pressure on his feet that he was putting on him. And I think, I think that's what, and it was, a, it was a good game plan, but I don't even know if it was necessarily game plan so much as just Khabib understands that Gaethje's a pressure fighter and he just took that yeah. ability away from him. Um, the NMA media, in my opinion, way overplayed, uh, Tony's game off of his back because he does some fun things, but, he would Khabib would have mauled yeah, Ferguson even so, when he was Ferguson. Like like the Khabib Gaethje fight. Like I tried because I mean you know this. I I put up a ton of gambling aspects on things, and man, there was just nothing based off of 2020 that led me to believe that Khabib was going to win that fight because it just mm. like I felt like the one factor against or for was the loss of his father, right? Sure, yeah. Because yeah. I feel like that's something that can either propel somebody or it can really hinder them. You know what I mean? Sure. And I felt like because mm-hmm. of all the success that Khabib had already had, I felt like maybe that was what was going to be lacking. Like, it wasn't like he was going for his first title and he was trying to do it for his father. I felt like he'd already been there to the mountaintop. Like, he'd beaten... He'd already beaten the McGregors of the world. Like, what did he have to do? And he still went in there yeah. and fucking beat the brakes off of the guy. The one guy who had everything going in his favor on how to win that fight, right? Like, hey, look, he took out Ferguson. Like, this is it. This is the only thing stopping you from literally 
your your name going down in 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 legacy for the UFC, and it it wasn't even well. Close. It was a mismatch. Yeah, it was a miss. So people don't like when I say this, but Connor is the best matchup for Khabib. He just is, and he's proven it. In my opinion, he already proved it. And that's just it to me, it goes to speak of how good Khabib really is. Um, yeah. like some people have floated around this idea that Dan Hooker would be to that would be that fight would be so easy for Khabib. Give me a break. That it would <laughs> that would be a one round fight if Khabib wanted to be one round fight. Connor is a better fight. So um if you go through like people leaned on Gaethje's uh Division one experience as a wrestler. Yep. Which he's great. But if you actually go through their MMA careers, Connor has shown better takedown defense than Gaethje ever has by far. It's not, it's fucking not even close. He's, he's a, a better MMA defensive wrestler based off what you see in the cage, not based off of credentials, but he's a better defensive uh, wrestler than Gaethje. And he showed it in the fight. So because Connor's a jerk and stuff, people don't like when you say that, but it's true. Connor's a great fighter and like, he's probably like, think about this. If you remove, if you remove Khabib from that division, who's beaten Connor? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe Michael Chandler, but I honestly, I think Michael Chandler would be in for a rude awakening because Chandler gets drawn into slug fests every once in a while, you know, and I think he would try to lean on his wrestling, but I think he would get a lot of Chad Mendes treatment out of that fight. So um, anyway, yeah. So moving on, sorry, I could, I could sit and babble about MMA all day. No, I know, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm looking up something. So I, 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 I may ask you because you may know, I talked to this woman, she's from Ireland, uh, about two years ago, well, about a year ago. And, uh, she's from Ireland and I asked her about McGregor and they, they didn't, they don't, they don't, they don't really like McGregor. And the way she described it, she used a term that I can't remember. I was going to see if you knew it's like a slang term for someone. And the way she described it, it sounds like a slang term for someone who comes from nothing gets everything and still acts like they come from nothing. If that makes sense, mm. which I don't, to me, I like, the term. yeah. And when I heard her explain it, I was just like, well, what else would he act like? But I could understand yeah, but that's also, also from her side of it. You know, this woman's in her sixties, you know what I mean? Like very proud yeah. Irish individual and, and kind of feeling like he's putting a bad name on the on the country i guess if that makes sense yeah but there, so there's a lot of visionism going on there because in 2016 mcgregor was like you just can't deny that he, the cultural influence that he had in ireland oh, at that time yeah. was imp- i remember like when they fought i forget i think it was the mendez fight in vegas 20 percent of the ticket sales were from ireland that's fucking nuts. They, that flew, is they flew to the West Coast. They didn't fly to New York. They flew to fucking Vegas. That's <laughs> fucking crazy. Yeah. It's <laughs> mind blowing. And then after the fight, they were they were uh doing conga dances through the casino and the security guards were just throwing up their hands like they were dancing on tables and shit. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so there's a little re- revisionism going on there. Like he's been an asshole and he's acted like an asshole and he deserves to be treated like he's acted like an asshole. Mm-hmm. So I get that, but I, I don't think that's exactly true for, you know, like that moment when he was like, uh, 
last week I was on social welfare and this week it's, you know, 50 G's baby, you know, yeah, like 50 grand wouldn't mean shit to him now, but, no, but no, that no. guy back that then that a day, was, bro. yeah, for sure. Or more, if Wait, not, probably, yeah, probably more. more from his whiskey. I think that's so awesome. Like I, I just love the foresight that whatever he was able to do from a business perspective, because look, we've seen enough examples of, of athletes, especially in America, enough athletes who get money and they fucking blow it and they're broke. Like for all the things you don't like about Connor, at least that man had some, whether it was him or it was somebody he knew, a partner or whatever, at least he had some fucking foresight to reinvest and make money. I think it's him. I mean, because Dana White's right. Like, no, he it's true. He doesn't need fighting and he's just doing it because either he really loves it or he's just got such a void in his fucking life that he has no desire to do anything other than get punched in the face. And that takes a special human being as it is. Or it's both. Or it's both. And so that's, we're going to wrap it up on that. What do you, what do you, what do you think happens? I know he's beaten Dustin Poirier once. Do you think he does it again? Um, yeah, it's, it, honestly, uh, there's a lot of, you know, it's hard because we, we just haven't seen Connor fight. Um, oh. What was that like? Forty seconds with Cowboy about a year ago, like yeah, he wasn't. Um, but he, yeah. he wasn't in a fight, and the but last one was Khabib, where he didn't do impressive. anything. No, actually, I think he looked pretty good against Khabib. And if you go back yeah. and watch that fight again, I think you'll feel different. He he actually looked pretty good against Khabib. Um, it's just Khabib is just that good. Yeah, um, yeah. So Dustin gets hit a lot. If you if you look at um, I, it's been a minute since I've looked at the numbers, but Dustin takes a lot of significant strikes, particularly in his last few fights. Um, that's not uh, that's that's not a good strategy against someone like Connor. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. a lot of people are suggesting like um, you know Dustin's offensive wrestling has gotten better, and it has. It's really good. It's actually yeah. really good. He's definitely um, gotten. He's a better fighter than he was the first time they fought. That's. No, no question. But I think Connor's actually better too. And I like people don't give him credit where to. And then I think people way underestimate Connor's grappling. His grappling is actually pretty darn good. Um, if you go back to the Holloway fight, you know, when he tore his ACL or whatever, he he owned Holloway on the ground. And, that, and obviously Max is not like a great jujitsu player, but I mean his his grappling both offensive and defensive is actually pretty darn good um he does have a tendency to give up and dustin has great cardio so as in any connor fight the longer it goes the more it favors the other guy but i do think that dustin is going to be there to be hit and i think that um i just think like everyone hyped gaichi's power and he does have big power but uh, Connor is so accurate. Um, like Gaethje hits hard, but he's not an accurate puncher. Yeah. And Connor is a very, very accurate puncher. Dustin relies heavily on his boxing game, and his boxing game is really good. But it's—I really, actually, don't think it's at Connor's level. I don't think it is. And then you have Connor going back to the Crumlin gym, working with his old coach from when he was a teenager. I, I just think it's like everything adds up to maybe not a great night for Dustin, which sucks. Cause I think Dustin's like one of the best guys in the sport. He seems like just a freaking great guy. Um, and it'd be great if he won. He's a great guy and he could win. It's MMA. Who the hell knows? That's but true. if I was going to bet money, 
it wouldn't be on Poirier in, in that fight. Well, and that's not Jacob Poirier. I think he's a freaking great fighter. I'll, I'll ask you after this, but does, does Khabib have a brother? Um, is his brother Umar? Well, he has cousins that fight. Okay, because well, I don't know if he has a Nurmagadeva, the same last name. Like, that's his cousin. Okay. Nurmagomedov. Yeah, because I asked my brother, and my brother's like, who knows? There's fucking a million of those fuckers over in Chechnya running around. Like, <laughs> yeah. you'd be right. Like, oh, yeah. that, that last name could be like Smith, for all I know. I'm just saying, like, I thought it was ironic that, and he's like an up and comer. Uh, he's a minus mm-hmm. 500 favorite on that fight night. But anyway. Um, Isn't it Abdul, though? Abdul, the Nurmagomedov? Uh, well, this guy I'm looking at is Umar. Umar. Oh, there may be know. more. I'm, might be more. Anyway, Umar is a is yeah. a huge five to one favorite. Anyway, so and he could have a little brother. It's it's fully possible. I, yeah, I mean, so all right. So I'm gonna give the uh, I'm gonna give out the odds for this fight, and we'll get out of here. So Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor, UFC 257, UFC Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, which I have been to Abu Dhabi, great place. Uh, I spent about an hour there. I went to a gas station and got some uh, great energy drinks. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's where that is. Uh, so that is this Saturday. Currently, Conor McGregor is a minus 310 favorite. So it's actually gone mm-hmm. up. All the money is on Conor, which means for those of you who don't understand, minus and pluses. So Dustin Poirier is a plus 255 underdog. Conor McGregor is a minus 310. That means if you bet $100 on Dustin Poirier, you will win 255. If you would like to win $100, you would have to bet 310 on Conor McGregor. So about three to one is the odds for Connor and the over under on rounds over two and a half plus one sixty mm. under two and a half minus one eighty five. So maybe your bet is not on the individual outcome, but on the, the, the fight itself, less than three rounds or over three rounds. I kind of see, honestly, I mean, if it's a five round fight, is it a five round fight? Cause it's not a title fight. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a five? Yeah, it's fight? five round fight. Mm-hmm. Well, that to me that would benefit McGregor because he's done it before, multiple times. Well, so so is Poirier. Yeah, I just Poirier was know. interim champ. Yeah, I think like it's kind of like what I said with my brother. You know, yeah, it, it it this almost reminds me of like when Mayweather was boxing, right? Like you know who's gonna win, but there's no value in betting on the guy who's gonna win that you know. Like you just bet the underdog and hope it hits. Right. Yeah. You know, because a hundred bucks gets you thirty <laughs> if you bet on, you know, if you bet on McGregor. Well, okay. So or if you put a hundred bucks, you win three hundred almost on on Poirier. So why not? Like, what's the what's the lose? You're at a hundred bucks either way. You got to look at it like this. How does Poirier win this fight? Um, everyone's talking about his like boxing skills and all that. Okay. The only person that's ever hurt, the only that have ever gone around their feet was Nate. And um, yeah. Khabib, Khabib Nate, surprised him, surprised times. everyone. Oh, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> uh, no, I just do. I totally disagree with that. But I, I've heard that take, and fine. Um, <laughs> he certainly won the first fight. <laughs> yeah, no absolutely that. won the first fight. Um, <laughs> that, that happened. But <laughs> um, the thing is, Nate's got Nate's got uh, a chin like a freaking. Uh, yeah. Angus Cow. So yeah, Poirier Angus, hasn't Nate shown that. likes to fight guy. So if you ever thought of like who is a likes to fight guy, that's Nate. 
for sure. Yeah. He's got a great chin and just incredible. And his, you know, his boxing is really good. It's underrated. Like I actually think that Nate would give Poirier big problems. And I, I like people don't agree with me when I say that, but I, I think Nate would give Poirier real big problems. In fact, like I kind of think that Nate would probably fucking work Poirier. Like, I, I actually think he would beat him pretty easy. Even at this age? And I, even at this age, not Nick, but Nate. And yeah, maybe no, even Nate, Nick Nate, too. Nate's just getting, um, he's just getting up there. That's all. Yeah. So that, that would be my take is it's going to be, it, it just, so if, if his way to win is through boxing, well, I haven't seen, I've only seen one person ever beat Connor at boxing ever. And was that he did that with length. Oh, okay. Well, okay, sure, fair. Well, of course, like straight <laughs> boxing, well, it's Floyd, you know. Um, but in MMA boxing, the only person that's ever done it is Nate. And I don't think that Poirier's boxing is anywhere close to Nate's. Um, like I actually don't even think it's close. So like you like it's a big, it's a big ask, you know. Like it, it's a real big ask. And then as far as offensive wrestling goes his offensive wrestling is good. Poirier's is very good, but it's not Khabib's and Khabib had a hard time taking Connor down for the first six minutes of that fight. Um, and I don't think anyone in the world would argue that Poirier's offensive wrestling is, is at Khabib's level. So it's just like, if you look for ways to win and they kind of all lean Connor, that doesn't mean Connor will win. It's just, yeah, it, it's hard to find a way where Poirier wins that fight for me so well you guys can make up your own mind in terms of where you're going to put your money again the odds are what they are so and that's why it's called gambling you gotta sometimes you make a risk on the underdog and uh, the underdog pays off it does in football all the time but anyway um so that's braxton mccoy uh we'll probably try and do this again in several months when he wants this one taken down and we have to charge $200. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it'd be cool. Hey, if you, like, I assume everyone on here probably knows my Twitter, but go to my YouTube. Cause we're actually going to start um, dropping content on there. Excited about this. Um, especially in 2021. Cause Drew's coming back up. So there'll be a lot yeah. more, but, but I'm working on some stuff too. It's not going to be drew level, but we're, we're working on it. So go to my YouTube. Okay. Subscribe. And is that going to be podcast or is that going to be just you out with the tomahawk chopping off heads of elk and shit? Mostly tomahawk shit. Yeah. All right, cool. Mostly so tomahawk yeah, there's stuff. some cool stuff you can find on BraxtonMcCoy.com or on Braxton McCoy's YouTube channel. You can find some cool shit on BraxtonMcCoy.com, primarily the Glass Factory book, which if you don't own already, you should probably own it. Uh, definitely give it to your kids. They need to read this. Um, so that's it. And then you can find and follow him on Twitter. You can find myself on Twitter at uh, Eric TWBB, which stands for there will be bourbon. So it's very easy to figure out if you like this podcast, if you like us, just like it, share it, do those great things, help us uh, get out there and do further things in, in whatever field it is we're I don't know what, whatever we're trying to do. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. um, my field primarily is just, if I can get this to a point where I can get bourbon sent to me for free, I will consider that accomplishment <laughs> until then. Um, there will be bourbon. All right, Braxton. Thanks, brother. All right, brother. Thank you. See you.